Welcome to the podcast that passes poor performance on pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Duncan, alongside with my best friend, Audie Marsh. We're just a couple of cool cats casually causing some chaos with conversation. We're here to entertain you, not hurt your feelings, so don't blame us. What it is, homeboy. What's up? How are you doing this uh, Friday evening? Saturday evening. I Saturday. forgot we didn't go live last night. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm uh, actually enduring some resin printing right now, so I got my window open. Like, awesome! It's so potent in here. I'm I'm probably gonna get cancer from this. I'm not even kidding you. But don't say that. I need a co-host. I can't do this <laughs> by myself. Come on, man. Yeah. So I'm just sucking in the fumes right now for you. For this podcast, well, for viewers, like I appreciate it. Yeah, you know what else I appreciate? What's up? all of our viewers, our amazing viewers that we love yes. so much for hanging out with us on a Saturday evening. Super gigantic shout out to all of our patrons, our producers that's been donating money to our Patreon. Um, we really, really appreciate it. That's absolutely. Like, it's so amazing that uh, there's people out there that are doing that for us. And uh, at the end of the episode, we will all give you a very special shout out and give you producer credits. I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, send this to. Brent, give me a second. All right. So while you're doing that, I will inform everyone on tonight's topics. We have a special guest, our first special guest named Vladimir DeWinter. He is the CEO of a mystery box subscription company entitled Zompire. Very cool company. I can't wait to have him on and converse about that, as well as him growing up in Baltimore. Um, we're going to talk about FSU, which is uh, some people say it's a gang. Some people say it's not. We'll get into that. Um, it is definitely a group of individuals who like to fight and cause a ruckus. And they are called FSU. It stands for Friends Stand United. We're also going to talk about sideshow attractions, freak shows, things like that. People stapling boobies to butts. And um, as well as the Club Kids, which uh, if you're not familiar with that, there's a movie called Party Monster. Party Monster. And yep, we're going to get into all of that interesting shit. And I hope you enjoy it. We've put a lot of work into this. So I hope you have fun. All right, so we're gonna should we bring on, in on our, yeah. our guest or what? Yeah, let's the bring man him of the on. hour. He's he's nipping at the butt right now. He's messaging me right now to come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't message you, man. I got I'm I'm what am I gonna <laughs> missing every seventh so, letter? It's gonna so look like, like what's that uh serial killer that the alphabet killer or something like that? <laughs> you have to decode it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know who that is. The alphabet killer. That doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, well, maybe that'll be my heard name. About it. I'll write my note, and I'm missing every freaking seventh letter. <laughs> Did uh, a finger, man. You just got a finger amputated on Wednesday. What was that all about? You you smashed it? Yeah, so uh, my day job for a while was I was a machine operator at a lumber mill. And we one of the sizes we ran is a four by six um, piece of lumber that was 12 feet long. And in front of me where the lumber would kind of come up, there was a little uh, metal guide rail. And when I flipped it like this, or I'm sorry, when I flipped it like this, it landed on my hand. And basically the weight of the um, four by six landing on my finger on that um, guardrail blew the tip off the bone pretty much. 
<clears throat> so they stitched it back together and I was going to physical therapy for like a year and it just would not get any feeling back. It kind of felt like, you know, when you sit on your ankle for too long <clears throat> and your foot goes asleep. Right. It felt, it felt like that 24 seven, like even when I was sleeping. And so I had to take drip, like gabapentin to like calm it down. You know what I mean? Man. And so it just got after 14 months to a point where they're like, look, either you got to live the rest of your life on these drugs and your finger this way, or we're going to cut it off. And I was like, well, I'm doing my best to look like a Bond villain. So I got the scar down my face. I got a gold tooth. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every villain I've ever known, it was like he had four fingers on his left hand. And that was like a distinguishing mark, right? So I said, fuck it, man. Just take it off, I guess. No worries. Yeah. Did, and they let you keep it, right? Yeah, they let you keep it? Yeah. So he originally was like, no. But then he started telling me about like, you know, there's a few native tribes where I live at in uh, Washington that, you know, you you have to have it to get buried or something like that. And so they make exceptions. And well, I was like, well, I'm not, you know, a part of any tribes or anything, but it is really important to me. And I pretty much sweet talked them into it. And so they have to send it to like pathology, I guess it's called. And they preserve it in some manner and then they'll give it to me. He said it takes a few days, but they'll be a call to go pick it up. So is it yeah, going to be in like a jar of formaldehyde or they're going to stuff it like a deer or what the fuck? You know, I'm not really sure at the moment. I'm hoping it's just like a jar of formaldehyde because I <laughs> thought something cool would be to get like a glass vial with like a somebody fashion a top so I could wear it as like a necklace. So I'm just giving everyone the finger. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you know what you should do? You should like cut little pieces of it. And then put it in your mystery box and be like, here's a piece of the owner. You own a piece of Zompire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> you I'm know not what I mean? kidding you. People were telling me to raffle it. I had people like, I'll buy it off you. And I'm like, dude, that's just too weird, man. Like, yeah, I want it for me. I have like a wet specimen collection of like different animal parts and brains and whatever, you know. So it'll be nice to have like a part of myself in my collection. Right. I think that's pretty cool. Um, no, I get it. I, it's good to see you be such a good sport about it, because I'm sure it was kind of sad and it sucks to get your fucking finger chopped off, but you seem to be handling it very well, and I'm proud of you for that. Funny story, two days before I went and got this, I went into the hair salon down the street, and I walked in, I says, hey, if I'm missing this finger, do I get 10% off? And they all kind of <laughs> giggled at me, and I'm like, no, I'm getting it cut off on Wednesday. Can I get a discount if I come get a manicure? And she's like, are you serious? And I'm like, I'm dead serious. And uh, she's like, all right, well, uh, you're taking this really, really well. Like, this is kind of funny. And I'm like making a big joke about it. You know what I mean? But yeah, what else I mean, you going to do? Sit around and be sad all day about it? You know, it's my, it's my left hand, you know. And like I said, it falls right. into my Bond villain uh, mystique. For so. sure. Do you still <laughs> feel it? Do you like still feel it? Last like, night, oh, I, like, God, I thought I had a, an itch on the end of my finger. And I went like that. And I was like. Oh, it's not there. There's definitely <laughs> times where I kind of think it's there, but I know it's, you know, then you realize. It's like yeah. a phantom feeling. Like when you got a real long beard and you chop it off for like a week, you keep trying to go for it. To... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's just not as serious. It's your, I'm, it's your finger. I apologize for com <laughs> comparing it to facial hair. But that's the only thing I can think of, That's man. <laughs> Sometimes I felt like people thought it was a lot, like maybe it's more to, maybe I, it's not, a, like I don't think of it as much as other people do or people are more concerned about it or whatever than I am. I'm like, eh, it'll, it's just a finger. It's not one I use very often. You know what I mean? Like, right. The ring finger. My right. old lady's bummed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's definitely taking it. She's not taking it as well as you. Apparently. No, no. 
<laughs> why don't you why don't you talk about Zompire for the listeners that um are unfamiliar with mystery subscription box companies and Zompire and what you do, man? Because it's a really cool company, and I got tons of shit from you guys, and I <laughs> I, I want to I want the listeners to know about it, man. For sure, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was a uh, you know a, a subscription box purchaser um for a long time, and I just kind of had connections to some celebrities. Um, through different conventions like Crypticon and ZombieCon back in the day when that existed. And I just wanted to try it on my own. I really had no idea what I was doing or getting into, you know what I mean? Um, I just kind of thought I could do something cool and a little bit different um, based on who I was working with at the time. We were trying to do like those relics, the relic cards you've gotten and stuff, you know, where right. we were getting dirt from Ed Gein's fucking grave or um you know something like that and we would encase them and make them displayable and everything and so we just we wanted to do something a little bit different with like relics and screen use relics um but i'll still offer offer autographs because i know that's a big seller in the mystery box game you know well that's what a lot of the bread and butter really is, is where people look for the other stuff is kind of like that's really cool stuff but who did i get this month you know what i mean right um, and so we started off our my original idea was to do you know the box have it be horror and then one or two true crime pieces in the same box and that way we can kind of like you utilize the horror to push the true crime stuff and then we ended up separating into two boxes and both of them were you know pretty successful and you know i feel like just after time we've gotten you know better and better i i look back i'm sure like anybody else does when they first start doing anything like this and you see like the first or second third boxes and you're like why were people buying this crap from me? You know what I mean? But then like after two years where we get to a point where, you know, I know not everyone was going to feel the same as me, but I was absolutely ecstatic and proud to have Cannibal Holocaust in my box. Like, I don't, I just don't see anyone else going that route. And I want, that's what, that's what I'm into. And I want to provide, I want to put faces of death in a box. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just, that'd be wild. I want to do the stuff that like really nobody thinks about or nobody cares to do because it's the shit that I like. I love having Johnny Cash's grave dirt on, you know what I mean? When people come over, they're like, are you kidding me, man? Like, holy shit, that's so cool. You know, and it's like, I like having those kind of relics around instead of like, you know, a NECA action figure. They're cool, but that means yeah. more to me to have that, you know, piece of it. You know what I'm saying? Right. That reminds so. me, I should have, I was, uh, the White House is right down, when I say White House, it was the School for Boys in Florida. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was, uh, they killed a bunch of kids and didn't tell anybody and they buried them. Uh, it's it's a juvenile detention center for boys, but it's right down the road from where I live. And oh, like, wow. I was there and like, there's like relics all over the place. And I'm just like, just like taking pictures <laughs> and stuff. I didn't realize it until I got back home and I'm like, damn, I could have I could have got something, <laughs> you know, like, of. you know, yeah, some people don't, made money. <laughs> some people don't really see the value in it, but I think it's, you know, a way to like, kind of have something like, feel like you have a piece of that moment yeah. in time, whether it's the making of a movie with a, you know, a, a shirt relic or whatever, or dirt from the gas station in Texas Chainsaw Massacre we did, mm. you know, like, I just, to me, it's like having, if you feel like you actually own that piece, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's Americana, man. It's 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 a part of the history, and it's the closest you can get to owning or being a part of it, right. you know, or having it at your house. You know, 
We all got DVDs and shit. You know, it's like is is I'm a a big sports nerd. I know Audi, you know, me and him have talked sports in the past. And one of the things that they do in sports cards now is they have like autographs on the card and pieces of the jersey worn Mm -hmm. in the game embedded in the card. And that's really what got me thinking about trying to do it for Zompire and do it like for horror and and true crime stuff was the fact that sports were doing it. You know what I mean? I I always wanted a piece of Dale Earnhardt's tire from his car. <laughs> the one or he like died in. The wreck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or the piece of car that wrecked, and I, like I'm I'm not being morbid, but I'm being morbid. But no, I mean I have stuff kind like of stuff. Is, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Though. Right, I, I got mean, a I piece of the robe that Eileen Warnos wore on Death Row. You know, we got yeah. strange things like that, and I think it's. Like I mean, serial killers are are aren't people to be glorified or, or looked up to, but it's like I said, it's a part of Americana. It's a part yeah. of our history, whether we like it or not. And it's like I kind of want to have a little piece of that in my house. Fuck it. Yeah. Well, well, I, I had Vlad. I had I had uh, I had Charles Manson in this closet for the longest time. Blood, I, right? The, the blood painting with his ashes. Yeah. Oh, really? And like, I kind of regret getting rid of it, but. I made so much money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, yeah. one of the things that Zompire kind of got knocked for a little bit in the community was doing true crime stuff. And, you know, it was like that we were glorifying this or paying, you know, some serial killer that. And, you know, what people don't realize is they're supporting it by paying their Netflix bill. You know what right. I mean? Like, when you pay your Netflix bill, that money doesn't go to just the movies you watch. It goes to everyone who's put content on Netflix. Yeah. And so you're still financially supporting it if it's online, if you're paying your, you know, your Netflix bill or your Hulu bill or whatever. So, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just so hypocritical when people try to jab at us and we're like, really? Like, do you think I bought these from this person? They've been dead for years. (laughs) They didn't make anything off this. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, anybody can walk into a Barnes and Noble and, and buy a book about Harry Potter or they can buy a book about Charles Manson. The shit's everywhere. Don't be mad at me. We're fucking collecting it, you know. Yeah, freeze! I couldn't. I didn't fucking kill those people. Fuck you, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so, Mister Freeze, he's uh he's commenting. He's saying, "Go ahead, Audie. You brought it up. You'll go ahead and read uh, it." Yeah, he says, "Hey, Vlad, uh, could Zompire do something for people under the stairs or serial serial uh, killer Richard Trenton Chase, Vampires of Sacramento?" Oh, Richard Chase was a sick fuck. Yeah, I've heard that name. I'd have to do some research on that, but I definitely could see doing people under the stairs. You have before, actually, didn't you? You uh, one of one of the ghouls underneath the stairs. Uh, It was oh yeah, yeah. It was the cover Hmm. of the Fangoria magazine that was in a box. That's right, dude. He's the nicest. If you ever get a chance to meet Jan Birch, the nicest dude alive. Really, I'm being facetious, but. He's a, he's a super nice dude. <laughs> That's cool. That's good to know, man. I mean, not facetious. I just meant like I was blowing it up. He is no, really I, nice yeah. Dude. I don't yeah. even know what that word means, so I'm just kind of like, huh. I'm kidding. That like sounds really, really intelligent. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. You look like this, you got to pretend at least. I'm over here Googling it. Yeah, yeah, keep going. <laughs> right. <laughs> Reminds me of that movie Bad Teacher with Cameron Diaz. She's just a Ah. piece of shit teacher. She's hung over every day, but there's a scene where she meets this little girl's parents and she's like, oh, such a precocious child. 
It's but like you could just see in her face she has no idea what that fucking word means. She just heard it before, so she's using it to try to sound smart. I was yelling yeah. at my bank online on the phone earlier, and I said I forget what the word was, but I had to look at Angela and be like, "Did I say that right?" And she's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get some. <laughs> Give me my money." Right. So, where are you from, dude? Where'd you grow up? Um. Well, that's kind of a long story. <laughs> <laughs> We got time. So I was <laughs> I was born in Miami. Um, so I'm originally from North Miami Beach. Um, when I was 13, my mom and my stepdad we moved up to a town called Tom's River, New Jersey. And if you're familiar with the show Jersey Shore, in order to get to that beach that they're on, you have to go through my town and over a bridge. So that's how you know close I was. So I was in Central Jersey pretty much. But at that time, I would pretty much go back and forth between there and my dad lived in Baltimore, Maryland. So depending on how in trouble I got, I would got went back and forth. Um, but I did live in Manhattan for like six, eight months, um, on and off, probably a year. I've lived in Portland, Olympia, Seattle, San Diego. Um, as far as places I've lived for any amount of time, like six months or more. Um, but mostly I've been in the Pacific Northwest for the last 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So but I've Baltimore. also traveled pretty much all over the U.S. So being from uh, Baltimore, uh, one of our topics is FSU. Are, aren't they Boston-based? or Yeah, that... and actually, they are Boston-based, and I wasn't a part of them until I lived in Seattle. They are bought there. Oh, they're... so they have more than one faction. They're, oh, they're yeah. spread out. Okay. Right. So it started in Boston in the early 80s, and then by the time I got around to it, which was about 2005 through 2007, 2008, um, there had been uh, – Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago, um, uh, L.A., Seattle. There's chapters all over the U.S. Okay. I was thinking – go ahead, Audie. So (laughs) uh, Darren and I were brainstorming on these topics. And he's like, yeah, man, FSU. And I was like, like, fuck yeah, man. Go Knowles, man. Tallahassee represents. (laughs) He's like, no, 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 fuckface. I'm talking about – the gang FSU and I was like, I was like, dude, what is that even like? What is that? You're in the background <laughs> like, doing the chop. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to like put on a Florida State jersey and like, yeah, talk all day about Florida State. So, but well, funny story, funny story that actually has to do with FSU and your FSU. When um, in cities where we would be banned from wearing our gang colors in clubs, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of guys would buy Florida State University stuff that just had the FSU lettering. With the you know the, the the um arrow tip or something would be on it, but it was a yeah. way to wear our letters in the nightclubs without them being triggered that it was uh you know they knew it was us anyway. Yeah, but they you, we weren't allowed to wear like our actual colors in the clubs, so we would wear Florida State, Florida University. State University. Yeah, yeah. Like there's we I had a basketball kind of cool. jersey, one of the stitched on basketball jerseys, number one on it. I had one of those for a while that I had to wear out to clubs. That's pretty cool. It's so that gray area. FSU originally stood for fuck shit up, right? But then they changed it to Friends Stand United, or was it the yeah. other way around? Or um, it was it originally was pretty much fuck shit up. It was and that was just kind of the mentality of things, and uh, that was it was mostly just kind of a joke, and that's what kind of you know started pulling them together, and then it it changed to become FSU or Friends so Stand United. Was was Elgin James the guy who basically started it all? Or was yeah. he is, is he just kind of the one famous for it, or was he like the actual like godfather him. or whatever of it? It was him and another Boston guy um, who 
made actually was the one that made um the boston beatdown videos i don't yeah. remember his name because that's way before my time um and in a completely other city we weren't as tight uh chapter to chapter wise like i knew guys in boston and chicago and stuff but it wasn't like it wasn't as it, the your local guys were we were more tight than kind of the national as a national brand you know what i mean and again that's also 16 years ago now so i I couldn't speak on what they're doing now um, or how tight knit it is now, but. Right. Um, my introduction to this whole thing was the Boston beatdown videos. A guy showed it to me probably 10 years ago and he was speaking very highly of it and bragging of it, how badass they were and no offense to anybody, but my opinion at the time, I was like, I was kind of pissed off about it. Cause they, the, the video portrayed them as a bunch of fucking sucker punchers, man. It was like, Every fight I saw, they're just like beating up this drunk kid or they're right. kicking somebody that's unconscious. And I'm like, how was that badass? I'm like, what the fuck are these guys' problem, man? A lot of the fights in Boston Beatdown weren't actually members of FSU. It was just fights that were caught on camera in Boston. That makes a um, way more sense now because yeah, I've seen so like ghetto brawls and like uh, brawling broads. And then there was fights. Uh, Bum fights. Yeah. That's another yeah. one. Yeah. I love bum fights. I actually YouTube did the other day. I was like, nostalgia reason. Rufus. When it Rufus? He's like, yeah, I think rrr, 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 toothless. Is he the one that got it tattooed across his forehead? I too? think so. He, I think he died. Yeah. I think that, so. The, the dude who started that got in a shit ton of trouble for that, if I if I remember yeah. correctly. He did, but I also remember he made, like, he still made off with like $20 million. Movie, yeah. Oh, Money. I'm sure he did. Because everyone like I knew had those fucking tapes. Like the guy with the girls gone wild. Right. That dude got into a lot of shit too. That was around yeah, Florida. So a lot of those fights that you see on there, like a lot of them are bouncers, you know, beating up guys, leaving the bar. Some of okay. them are just bar fights and stuff like that. There are certainly guys that were wearing FSU letters in fights. Mostly those are the ones that you see at hardcore shows. Okay. Because mm -hmm. so, I was confused. I'm like, if these guys are straight edge, like, why go to the bar? You know, like, stay right. away from the bar if you don't want to be around drunks. Like, what did you think was going to happen? So, I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad I asked about it, and I'm glad you said that because it makes a way more sense now. I'm like, these guys are assholes. So like, what, what the fuck? You know? So what would so what like would they that. what the what would they really do then? Like, they would see like a drug dealer on the side of the street or in the club and just beat the shit out of the guy. Like, is that is yeah, that what it was? I, yeah, that's happened plenty of times. Basically, it was um, you know. It originally started off as a way to police the drugs and the well, at the time in Boston there was a large um, Nazi pres presence like this neat like neo-Nazi punk rock Nazi. right not not German and, Nazis Audi right <laughs> and <laughs> sorry basically they band together to kick them out of the scene because you know they were they weren't racist and they didn't want they didn't feel like that should be a part of the hardcore scene and so they band together to basically kick the shit out of these guys and get them out well then it became more about policing the scene as opposed to just being a part of it um and then i think that's where a lot of the you know the later kind of violence and things like that where it was a little bit more you know a, a lot of people involved with a little bit of people or you know our, our motto was friends don't let friends fight alone so you okay know, if, you're, if your brother's in a fight you start fighting you know mm. um, yeah like so, us in, the, in the army like kind of like a mob mentality in a lot of ways, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, El Elgin yeah. James, uh, he said that his plan was to quote victimize the victimizers. Yeah, and so they started robbing drug dealers and things like that, kicking them out of their clubs. And uh, 
the violence was basically like a means to an end. Like it, because pacifism doesn't work. Like his Elgin James's parents were activists in the sixties. They smoked a lot of pot and they were his adoptive parents. Right. And uh, he, I mean, he must not have liked them and it maybe it was the pot that he didn't like. I don't know why he became straight edge. Maybe that had something to do with it. Cause he didn't like his parents and maybe they drank and smoked pot. And so he didn't it, like, it. and he wanted to rebel against it. I'm thinking he's written a book and he's done a bunch of interviews. And if you listen to him speak, that dude is so smart for being a street kid. You know what I mean? Like for yeah. a legitimate street kid in Boston, that dude is like beyond smart. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because he yeah he grew up in Boston in the in the nineties, and uh, he there's a, a documentary I seen where he shows where it all basically started. That this apartment building they had no heat, no running water, none of that shit, right. and that's when they started like kicking the crack dealers' asses that were hanging out in front of that building. Uh, him and his buddies would start doing that. Um, let me ask you this: What do you think? Where do you think it all kind of started from? Because I was thinking it's. Um, it could be like the evolution of rebellion because like in the fifties we had the greasers and they were a bunch of rock and roll badasses, And then the sixties and seventies kind of chill out and they were just passive pacifist or whatever the word is. And, um, and then like, it's just, everything skips a generation. So I'm thinking maybe in the eighties, that's when punk rock started coming around and they were getting rebellious. And then the nineties, they started doing this anti-drug thing, this, straight edge thing do you think that kind of makes any sense like evolution of rebellion or well i think a lot of it has to do with the kids that were born in like the late 70s like my era late 70s 80s and were really hitting their stride in the very early 90s were introduced to bands like earth crisis and that had these strong anti-drug messages because i think that it's coming up in the uh what do they call that when we were kids the uh um house key necklace kids or whatever keychain kids you know what i mean Where you have- i've never heard that it doesn't sound familiar at all explain yeah. it so keychain i think it was called keychain kids you have basically had a shoestring with your house key on it and latch key kid that's what it is you would have your key on a shoestring around your neck in elementary school and your mom and dad weren't home they were out doing whatever so you just took care of yourself seven eight yeah. years old you know but okay. this but we're not talking about like small town usa where i was like i was doing it in miami you know people were doing it in boston and new york and you know hard neighborhoods where they saw their parents on drugs and so i think it resonated growing up at that time to like don't become that do better than that when Mm -hmm. i the town tom's river i lived in when i was in uh i think freshman year of high school was called heroin high which i know has become a very (laughs) common name for any high school that has a heroin problem but like we were having like kids dying at school. It was like really bad. That's like, terrifying as a father. Like you're scared that your kids at a sleepover party in their teens and they try that shit for the first time and they fucking die because they don't die. know what they're doing. Yeah. It's yeah, fucking like, terrifying. Heroin crazy. is a fuck COVID. Like heroin's the real fucking pandemic that scares me, dude. Yeah. People die yeah. from it every day. And then, you know, just think about like all the other stuff that that's out there instead, you know what I mean? Where these kids are just, they skip all everything else. They are like, they don't want to smoke weed or anything. They're like, just so. Yeah. Like marijuana was the gateway drug. It was described to us as the gateway drug. It was the first one you tried and then you tried some acid and then you did some Coke, you know, and before you know it, you're sucking dick in the parking lot, you know, (laughs) funny story. Weed's the thing that keeps me from doing drugs now. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. I I just couldn't, I can't get behind the fact that 
I, I don't even like going to the doctor when I was little to get a shot or even in high school. I hated getting shots. Like I didn't, I didn't cry, but I just hated right. getting fucking shots. Right. I, I couldn't imagine self inflicting myself with a needle. You know, I guess maybe if I'm searching for that high, maybe it, it doesn't come, you know, maybe I'm overlooking it and I just do it, but I, I don't know. And I hate getting water up my nose. So I don't know how people do cocaine. Like, I don't know. I, I had a long history of drug use. I pretty much quit in 2011 when my sister ended up passing. <clears throat> but before that, I was known as a garbage head, meaning I would try literally anything. Yeah. Uh, and it, like there was times I like when I think when I was 16 was the first time I overdosed. It was on PCP. My, and my I woke up to my mom in the hospital. That's when I got that was the second time I got in trouble because I also got. So the first time I ever did any drug in my life, I took acid and the guy I was hanging out with had me watch Pink Floyd The Wall. I was like <laughs> 13 or just turned 14 and I'd never seen Pink Floyd The Wall before. He said you like a failure. I feel like it's a very telling <laughs> part of my life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you experience something like that at such a young age and then to see myself now, I'm like, it's pretty lateral. You know what I mean? Like right. <laughs> everything no makes sense. From there. It was, it was a straight <laughs> to hell. I'm sober, <laughs> but everything makes sense then. Right. Yeah. Well, I was definitely the same way. I would do any drug on the table. And like, I know a lot of people say this to brag or sound cool. And to me, I'm more embarrassed of it, but yeah, yeah like sure. I should not be alive for all of the crazy yeah. fucking things that I've done. The first time I'd done any drug, I was eight when I first smoked weed. And I think it was just because I had older siblings and I would hang out with their friends and I just wanted to be fucking the cool kid that everyone wants to get stoned. And then it just fucking snowball affected. And I mean, by the before you knew it, I'm fucking 13 years old selling coke, doing coke. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just it's a it's a terrifying fucking thing. So I I, yeah. I straight edge isn't for me because I love drinking, man. But I understand where it comes from. And I, I you're the. the the farther on this conversation goes, the more you're making me appre appreciate these people. Because at first I thought they were a bunch of scumbag, sucker-punching assholes. But uh, you're starting to make me like them a little bit. <laughs> we're out there. I mean, right, right. We used to have a business card, and when you would knock a dude out, you'd throw it on him, and it was like you were knocked out by your local. Like the club. Joker and Batman. You guys are Batman yeah. villains, dude. We had those, That's amazing. Dude. How, yeah. how many cops like look at y'all and be like, all right, I'm going to let it go. This there time. was... So right. that's a, a good club, question. There's a club in South Seattle called uh, Studio Seven, and I I was not there this night. This was uh, probably about three four months before I officially joined FSU, but I was still hanging out with all these guys. And there was a show. I don't remember who was playing. I want to say it was like uh, Madball or somebody like that, some like New York hardcore band. And they all went there, and a cop drove by, and of course there's. 30 guys standing around in FS, you know, FSU wear and everything. So they all roll up on them and like they were caught with brass knuckles. Uh, I think one guy had like an ounce of Coke and a gun on them. And it was like, it was, it was, there was, they basically anyone that was outside put them in a group together and they'll label them all the same thing. And right. you know what I mean? It was just really stupid. They're not straight know, edge think, anymore, right? FSU? No, no, that ended probably back in the, like the mid late 90s or so like it when i was oh, around that far long ago damn i thought that was more of a recent thing that's crazy no it, i mean there's certainly straight edge members um right but 
I mean, I was going out and drinking with the guys. We were smoking weed, doing blow, like, you know what I mean? At that time in my life. Uh, so it was, at that point, no, it wasn't. There was certainly guys, we would go see other chapters, and there were guys that were straight edge, and we'd hang out with them no problem. It wasn't like a, as violent as it was, you know, back in like the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Um, from the research that I'd done, um, the word straight edge or the term or whatever comes from the band Minor Threat. Uh, yeah, I think they were the ones that that coined it. They have a song or an album called it. The Yeah, the song is called A Declaration of the Individual Choice, and it's like a 45-second song. <laughs> the, back in like the late 80s, a lot of the DC bands, like Minor Threat and Fugazi and stuff like that, they were really politically charged, and a lot of them were like militant straight edge. Okay. Have you ever heard of SHARP before? It's an acronym for uh, Skinheads Against Racial Profiling. Uh, Racial Prejudice. Oh, is that what it is? Racial Prejudice. Okay. Racial Prejudice, yeah. So Uh, there are a bunch of white dudes with bald heads. Do they wear the red suspenders and red shoelaces, or is that something else? There's actually a large number of uh, Latin and black uh, SHARP skins. Right. Because, yeah, they were all against, like, they were against racism, but they well, called themselves the, skinheads for some reason. How the Sharps believe, what the Sharps believe is that, well, I mean, not that they believe it, it's uh, <laughs> the skinhead movement started like a in tribe the, um, down in, like, uh, Jamaica um, through ska and stuff. And then in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, that music traveled to Europe, where at the time, like, there was a lot of um, problems going on with, like, people getting work they were hiring foreigners to do the work up there so it became like this um blue collar kind of uh pro-england mentality and that's where it branched off and became more of a white nationalist movement or a white power movement so that's where you get the two um different like sharps and nazis okay i've heard that before that like your first skinheads were actually black people like in jamaica it's like it's so wild to think about how just another thing the white man stole from the black people, right? Like, well, it's funny <laughs> too. At the time, the at the time in like Jamaica and stuff, when they were being called skinheads, it was actually like an, an insult because the Rastas had like huge dreadlocks, you know. Oh, and okay. Oh, so that was like an yeah. insult to them was calling them a skin, like you know. What yeah. I mean? like, why, you why ain't you Jamaican, know? motherfucker. Why are you shaving your head? Right. That right. makes so sense. the music through like ska and uh, reggaeton and shit like that. It traveled over to Europe. But because of what was going on in Europe over the time then um, with like the, the, you know, basically foreigners taking the work of Englishmen because they would work for cheaper. Um, the, they it became like they kind of like took that blue collar mentality that the Jamaicans had and adopted it into their own style and started wearing like the suspenders, cuffing the pants and wearing Fred Perry's and stuff like that. Right. Um, Mr. Freeze here says, uh, he's a listener. He says that he thinks CM Punk brought straight edge back into the limelight. One thing I want to say about that, this is just my own theory. And maybe there's some truth to this. Maybe you can help me figure this out. But I, cause CM Punk wears the X's on his hands. And I see a lot of straight edge guys do that. My own, like, did this come from, because when you would go to a club and if you weren't 21, you didn't have an ID, you couldn't drink. They'd draw an X on your hand. Exactly. So the bartenders knew not to serve that guy. So now yeah. they wear him as like, hey, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. So is that where yeah. that came from? That's, That's exactly awesome. Right. I figured that all out all by myself. <laughs> I didn't read it or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So what's the deal with the red suspenders and red shoelaces? Does it mean like like blood that you've shed for your crew or like is it, you got is that a a right that you got to earn to wear that shit? Is it symbolic for anything? Well, I know that you know for different um, different parts of the country, whether you're a sharp or a Nazi or whatever you are, a lot of them, a lot of different shoelaces colors mean different things. Okay. Um, there's even like gay pride ones and things like that. So I mean, I don't know. I know that red is not one to wear unless you're a white supremacist and it supposedly means that you spilled blood for your race. Um, but I don't, you know, I also know sharps that wear red laces. So, okay. Cause it's, I had I a pair of skater shoes back in the day that had red cause they were red shoes and the, the laces were red too. And I right. got fucked with a lot over them. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. My fucking mom bought me these fuck off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just thought they were cool. Well, yeah, yeah you know, right. You know those like brown logging boots that come? They come with red laces. Have you ever seen right. those? Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, well, what, what do those guys do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they just bought these damn new boots, and now they got to buy fucking laces. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, would you call FSU a gang? Because Elgin James claims that it's not a gang, but by definition, I would say that it is because the definition of the word gang literally means organized group of criminals. And they might not be robbing banks, but I mean, they are committing assault and battery. That's a crime. So, I mean, I'm pulling a technicality here, but at the end of the day, <laughs> would you guys call yourselves a, a gang or what, what is it? Well, I mean, I'm no longer a part of FSU. Yeah, I didn't mean to say I, would you guys. I apologize yeah. for that. That's not no, what I meant. I, I would say that they're a, they are a crew. Um, okay. But, you know, obviously... Anytime you operate on a large nationwide scale, you're going to be viewed as a gang. Um, but to me, it was like when I, if you were going to be in a gang, you would be, you know, made to sell drugs. You'd be made to go do graffiti. You would be made, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it didn't, it doesn't have that like brotherhood feel because there's always someone above you like barking orders and it's usually illegal shit. Like that wasn't the case with us. Like we okay. like in a lot of ways we just protected one another and protected the people we cared about. Um, we were at uh, where were we at Warp Tour one year, and I think this is like 2006 or 2007 here in Seattle. And you know I don't know how much you guys are familiar with hardcore pits, uh, Darren. I think you are. They look like a fucking karate tournament, right? Yeah, it's very annoying to me. I hate it. I, but swinging their arms around I, and I crowd mosh. I run into the crowd swinging my arms wildly and kicking and hoping to get in a fight. That's how kind of how I dance. Okay. Crowd moshing. <laughs> like I would literally run through the crowd just swailing, you know what I mean? But anyway, right. so we're there and um one of the guys, one of our guys is in a band and his drummer is this like kind of like 15-year-old kid. You know what I mean? And he's in the pit and he's just dancing. And I think he threw his arm back and like kind of hit this dude. Well, the dude's like six foot three, you know, just kind of a, he wasn't like huge, but he was a bigger dude, you know? Right. And so this circle pit starts and the kid comes around and he fucking just pushes him over. <clears throat> well, the, he, this, the drummer, this drummer kid, we'll call him Nate. This drummer kid, Nate gets up and he kind of puffs his chest up. Well, the big dude just cracks him. Well, we're all standing there and we're like, absolutely not. So we, everyone just starts fucking swinging. Dudes are running over, swinging. And at the end of it, I get up. The original dude gets up. And um, Nate's standing, like, pretty much two feet from me. And he just looks, like, looks at this dude with these wide eyes. And I look over at the dude. And the dude looks at me. And I don't know if he didn't know who I was. 
but I just kind of threw my shoulders up like this. And as soon as he went like this, I went boom. And I hit him so fucking hard. He went straight like the fucking boarded up. You know what I mean? Right. Went back and was fished out. And, um, uh, like that kid for year for years afterwards would tell me about that story about like how I saved them and all that shit. But that's kind of what it was to me. It was like, don't pick on this little kid. Maybe he hits you, but you're a grown ass man. Like, take it and move on, you know? But to like yeah. push him down and try to threaten him and punch, you know what I mean? Like, stay away from the pit if you don't want to get hit. That's the fucking rule. I've seen so many women like run at dudes and just start punching guys in the face because you bumped into them. And it's like, fucking go somewhere else. What do you think yeah. this section is for? Typically, yeah. your mosh pits take place in the center, front center of the crowd. Stay away from it. If you there's plenty of fucking room for everybody, go somewhere else if you don't want to get bumped into. But on tour, on tour, I actually hit a fucking bouncer with one with a mag light for that same kid too. No I shit. Cracked a bouncer because they bum rush the stage because we they were like trying to shut us off because uh it was like a Christian straight edge show and he was saying a bunch of curse words and shit and all these like militant dudes came up on stage like they were gonna do something and fucking. Boop, boop, boop. And the next thing I know, I had a mag light and the dude was choking my that kid Nate. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Not today, buddy. That's brutal. I think it's okay. funny, like the, the Christian metalhead guys, like, don't swear. It's like, but you're so hardcore. It's like, you bet your gosh darn rear end we are. You know? like, <laughs> but then they'll try to hire dudes to kill their wives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 The singer of As I Lay Dying did that. Fucking like, terrible. wow. Yeah, because wow. he was the Christian dude, right? Yeah, As I Lay Dying like was like an uber Christian band at the time. Yeah. And so people were blown away that he tried to hire a hitman to kill his wife. Because yeah. he like, one, I think it was like he wanted his kids and she was trying to get like custody or something like that. So he's like, I'll pay this dude 60, I forget what it was, but 20 grand to knock her off. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm just going to go tell the cops. <laughs> yeah, because he, he was uh, his cellmate or something. He was a guy he was in jail with, I believe. Yeah. And then he like he went to his mom or his grandma was like, this guy wants me to kill his wife. I don't know what to do. And no, I think no, his mom no. was the one that went to the cops. Yeah, it was like, hey. So then they wired him up and then had him. What was his name? Tim Labesis or Tim Labesis or something? Tim Labesis. Labesis. Yeah, the singer of uh, As I Lay Dying. Um, Absolutely. that whole mosh pit thing, the when they fucking throw that when they they look like they're trying to start a fucking lawnmower, you know what I mean? Yeah, or they're like picking up change, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So weird. Um, yeah, we'd kick guys out, or not like kick them out, but it's like <laughs> if you're putting your arms around, we like, hey, knock that shit off, like go. <laughs> because you got people getting fucking noses broke, and they're just standing there, you know, like. <laughs> um, but I, I hate just that. Said if you don't want to come to the pit. No, I know what I said. I was there, but <laughs> let me contradict myself, God damn it. <laughs> no, but it's for real, because, like, um, I don't know, man. It's just crazy, like, because when we mosh, we just kind of, we call it slam dancing. You just you guys run into each other. Yeah, shit like that. And yeah. if someone falls, you fucking pick them up. But I just, I never understood the whole windmill thing. It's like, if you want to fight somebody, start a fight with somebody. What are you, what, what are you doing? People, I think it's for people who listen to metal who have rhythm. Yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> we can Look. we can dance, and so we put a little like jazz on our shit, you know. Yeah, you guys exactly. just run into each other like fucking rams, like like right. like, like, like three hundred. What's up for you? <laughs> yeah, I've seen the walls of death where they'll split a whole fucking crowd and make oh, them yeah. run at each other and shit. It's pretty wild, man. <laughs> I don't understand how people walk away from that kind of shit. Um, 
So you speaking of fucking wild shit, you've done some pretty fucking wild things on the sides of stage and even on stage at metal shows and things like that, right? Like as a like yeah. a I don't I don't know the proper term, freak show, sideshow attraction. What do you guys what do you call it? We, it, we were a uh, sideshow, but I also wanted to mention there was a time, um, and we didn't talk about this before, but in about 2001, 2002, in Portland, Oregon, there was an organization called Portland Organic Wrestling. And it was like basically a stage show that incorporated wrestling. And um, for like two years, it's the it was the longest running punk rock show on the West Coast or uh, venue on the West Coast. And they unfortunately closed a few years back. But we used to run a show there where we'd get like 350 people that would show up and watch us, you know, basically put on a, a, a what do they call it, like deathmatch style wrestling show inside. Yeah, with the, the thumbtacks and the barbed wire and fluorescent yeah. light bulbs and mouse so, traps and shit. <laughs> right. So I used to do that back in 2001, 2002. Um, I try to look for videos on YouTube, but obviously because of the year, you know, we there was not cameras everywhere like there are today right there was some vhs tapes floating around <clears throat> but i wanted to send you some of it before if so i could show you but unfortunately i don't have any so yeah so we like, used uh, to do that so in funny, the... go ahead go, go ahead man no, no no go ahead quick funny story though is um the very first time i wrestled there um i wrestled as a wrestler a character called the sodomizer and <laughs> That's, this is a, I swear to God, this is a true story. <laughs> so I started wrestling there as the sodomizer. After that, in between the first and sh second show, I went on a date with this girl. And we were walking through downtown Portland. And this guy across the street screams, sodomizer! Oh, no. no. On top of his lungs. At, she was uh, terrified. Like, wait, what? How is this oh, date going to end? Yeah. I ended up dating her for three years. So <laughs> it didn't shake her. But the very next show, I went by Reverend Burl, the Minister of Pain, because I uh, didn't want to be walking around town and everyone screaming sodomizer at me. Getting accused of sodomy. Yeah, I get it. In retrospect, it's actually a, a really good wrestling name, and I should have kept it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I don't think I would. I don't think I would call myself. I, I would have kept it. I would. I might not have ended up on WWE, but I would have been right. on ECW. Oh, for sure. They would have oh, loved no you. ECW or JCW, Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Have you ever <laughs> seen that shit? Yeah. I used to backyard wrestle. My name was 3D because my name is Darren Douglas Duncan. So that was, and this was like before I ever knew who the Dudley boys were or any of that shit. We were just a bunch of kids in the backyard, but we definitely used like mousetrap tables and fluorescent light bulbs and barbed wire, like just best friends beating the shit out of each other. It was all scripted. We half-assed knew what we were doing, like, you know, what we were going to do and stuff. But, man, it was some of the fun, most fun I ever had in my life. It really Is it was. Like that, like, like that guy that he's on Facebook. He's got, like, a large following, and he's he's like a littler guy. Uh, and he's, he's like, about, uh, uh, human something. Yeah, he's like, fuck superhuman. this yeah. shit. And he, he's like, like jumps this is for the juggalos and the juggalettes. Yeah, but he, yeah, he's like juggalos and juggalettes. Yeah, <laughs> dude, uh, I, I wanted to send him my band merch. I want to send him my band merch so bad so he could jump out of a treehouse and land on fucking mousetraps wearing like the shirt. Where he always takes it off. Yeah, like Legos. It was like some Legos and like fluorescent lights. I'm like, what the yeah, fuck is Christmas this? tree ornaments and shit. Yeah. Bob wire. And then he gets up like, Ugh, like. What the fuck do you expect, man? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. 
the cool thing about doing that wrestling shit first was it actually got me set up to like mentally prepared to do the the circus shit. Vinny said, "Okay, so that's why you tell that story." Yeah, whoop whoop, two scoops. I forgot. Sorry. So I'm glad you told that story because it makes sense. The it's it's kind of getting you used to pain or whatever, you know, like getting in there. Cause the whole thing is basically about pain tolerance, pain, right? Yeah. Like, but it wasn't, what was it? A sideshow attraction freak show? What'd you guys call it? I don't want to, I don't want to offend any of you guys and get my, <laughs> get my ball stapled to my kneecap. <laughs> we, I think it was, we were mostly known as a sideshow. Most of the stuff we did was, it was basically a sideshow that we incorporated suspension. I was a body okay. piercer for, for about 21 years. Um, I retired five years ago um, from body piercing i started when i was 17 i actually went to a, a school in new york city called the gauntlet and which at the time was like the harvard of piercing schools that, that sounds intriguing the, what's that yeah that's you said it sounds intriguing yeah uh, well that was, <laughs> that's I mean, cool i mean we were yeah. we're gonna talk we're gonna get to that point when we talk about the club kids because okay. that, i was living yeah, I in manhattan at the time piercing during the day working at the club at night you know so it's it's coming but <laughs> But um, no, so like it's basically like sideshow, but we did we incorporated suspensions into our our show, and so um, we would perform, we would do bed of nail stuff, and you know things like that. But to end the show, I would typically suspend a guy from his kneecaps or his rib cage or you know something like that. There's a everyone knows Crypticon in the horror community. Well, Seattle has our own Crypticon, and I actually suspended a guy from his rib cage right in the middle of Saturday afternoon during Crypticon out on the main floor with all the fucking guests around me. Now it sounds painful. It looks painful, but from the people I know who've done it, they say it's actually kind of euphoric and like orgasmic. Like people have busted nuts doing this. Like, can you, can you explain like how the fuck and why the fuck do people put meat hooks in their skin to suspend themselves from the ceiling and fucking swing around? Like why? Well, so for personally, I've never actually suspended. I've suspended people. I've right. never done it because it's not something I feel I want to do in my life. Yeah, uh, me. I, got I don't blame you. I've got piercings. I've got, you know what I mean? I got all that other shit. It's just not something I want to do. Um, my wife has done it. And she said that it kind of, once you get over the mental block of your feet leaving the ground, but like being pulled up that way, there is a very euphoric feeling like your body just kind of releases an endorphin that just makes you very relaxed and um, a lot of they'll start swinging back and forth on yeah. the cables and shit. And um, I mean, it, it, it looks, I, everyone I've ever suspended. Yes. I've had people that freaked out and didn't want to do it, but most people look like they ha- are having the absolute time of their life. Um, just not mm. something my fat ass wants to get up and do. Yeah, I, I, I don't even. I don't even like getting a fish hook in my finger. Better alone a big ass hook in my freaking spine. So let me tell you this: in the <laughs> circus that we we were in, there was a guy named James, and he was one of the performers with us. And James had a one of the toughest jobs in the military I could think of, and it was collecting. Um, dead bodies yeah like a a mortuary affair specialist right and you could tell it definitely weighed on him you know what i mean but he was a fucking he was a fucking guy man like he was one of the if you wanted a party he's the guy that you go party with for sure (laughs) and um 
he told me one year for his birthday, he goes, hey, man, I want to suspend under the space needle by my ass cheeks. And I'm like, <laughs> done, dude. Done. <laughs> fucking done. Come on over. Done <laughs> as in you retire <laughs> or done <laughs> as in like I'm fucking down. I don't understand. Wait, what's that? Done as in like. I'm we're retired doing, from doing this. I'm never no, doing no, it again. No, or doing it. like we should have yeah. did this yesterday. Right. <laughs> I'd say he's yeah, he's ready to do it. <laughs> so he's like, for my birthday, I want to hang from my ass cheeks. From his and ass cheeks. Okay. Pretty sure if we're Facebook friends, you can go to my Facebook and there's pictures of it. <laughs> now, do they do you go through just like the seven layers of skin, or are you hooking meat or what? On him, I on that on that one because it was only two hooks, one in each each ass cheek, and he didn't have a whole lot of ass to like you know really get in there. Uh, <laughs> The sod- this is coming from a guy called the sodomizer, sodomizer. by the way. Uh, it all makes sense. Thing, he he has he was wearing a shirt that like that on the back he said your ass is mine. Oh no. Yeah. But, you should have so been the one wearing that shirt. We didn't do it exactly under the uh, space needle. Right next door is one of the oldest punk rock clubs in the Pacific Northwest. It's called the Fun House. It's where like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and shit really got their start. Like one of the smaller clubs, right? And they're, they're pretty much like a stone's throw away from the space needle. So all the photographs are like, looks like it's coming from the space needle, but we're actually like two blocks away. Um, But we got to do it in the, in the fun house bar, like outside in their open patio area. And I suspended them from his butt cheeks. There's a lot of really fun pictures, like on my Facebook, I'm sure uh, that you can see. So is there, do they, this is probably a stupid question, but like, do these people develop scar tissue? Cause like when you pierce with a hollow needle and there's significant scar tissue from that, but like, what about these people that suspend is what that's got to scar well, up, right? Well, it does scar up. There's ways to like, you know, minimize scarring using vitamin E, like the gel tabs of vitamin E, pop them open, get them on there while you're healing. It'll help with the scar tissue. But because okay. of the way your back is, there's a lot of different positions that you can use in just your back. And a lot of people will do stuff where they'll go from their chest, you know, their inner thighs. And so typically the one in the back will be like your first time you go up. Usually that's like the most, that's the nostril piercing of suspensions. You know what I mean? Everyone's had one. Um, maybe not Audi, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? Like that. So typically once you, you don't, you know, they don't suspend so much that it becomes that big of an issue. So, so would it be possible if I was to be suspended from my taint? Is that, is that like feasible? Um, with a hook, like, like a tube. Not, I don't think that. I think that that would interfere with like baby making stuff. I'm yeah. done with that. I got two kids, so like <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a free vasectomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you hang right, from so your dick, real, I hear they so, turn your foreskin into an eight skin. So real quick, I got a funny story. We're talking about piercings. So my wife and I, we were in Atlanta. I think it was called Cheetahs. It was an all-nude strip club. And uh, I've never been to an all-nude strip club. I've always been to the ones, a typical strip club. with You know, you couldn't drink in there. So I like, you can't drink in all-nude strip clubs, which I understand. I get it. Right. So we're at our own little table. The black lights are going. And it was uh, this black female. Beautiful. I mean, she was, you know, she was a stripper for a reason. And uh, she comes at their table. And the way the tables were made were were made for them to, like, dance around on the table. It was like these big reinforced tables. So uh, as we're going along, the black light, uh, 
the black light, you know, it's shining down and and she bends over and she's like clapping her stuff. This is all nude, so it's like you know what I'm saying? So I was like Yeah, we we know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting there and like my face is telling everything. I'm not even saying anything to her, and I'm just like and I look over at Brittany, I was like, I was like, is that toilet paper in her ass? <laughs> and, uh, and she I guess she heard. But Brittany being so blunt, she's like, um, ma'am, ma'am, you got toilet paper in your asshole. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't. And then she's like, oh, no, honey. And she bends over again. It was like, plak, plak, plak. she grabs and like opens and it's pierced, dude. Like her butthole was pierced with like this white barb, like double bar, like butthole barb, taint, gooch, vagina. That is hole. insane. I was like. And obviously I'm intrigued. So I'm like trying to get closer, you know, I'm like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And I was like, and obviously I, I hit her with the question. Did it hurt? How do you wipe your ass? You know, I'm just going off and she was like <laughs> taking it like a champ. She's like, Oh, it's this, this, and this, and this. And I'm just like, I looked at Brittany. I was like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I, I get a hood piercing. Like that's, dude, I understand that. Piercing, but, uh, dude, I've never seen that in my life. It's crazy. When you first started explaining it, I immediately thought of the movie Teeth. Right? Like, I've never like, seen that. Oh, my oh, God. You're missing out, dude. dude. The greatest it, horror movie. Uh, way better than Scream, dude. Like I was just going to say, I'm missing out, but this is coming from the guy who likes Halloween 3, so I don't trust your judgment. <laughs> on <horror> movie. <laughs> hey, I, I have a good taste in horror. I'm sorry you don't. It's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop with the whole... You were attracted to a girl with a butthole piercing. I just, hey, I'm not, I'm if not you going saw it in r- real life, you would have been like trying to like pick it out for her. Like, I was almost to the point where I'm about to pick this girl's toilet paper out of her butthole. <laughs> this is the way I am. How dare you? I don't know, but man, that is just absurd. So, what's uh, tell me uh, some crazy fucking horror stories yeah, from being crazy? a sideshow artist, Vlad? So I quick, mean, real- Real quick, we Gary. know we got the main event that we're gonna get to uh, sure. about, about your uh, uh, piercing mishap. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but, um, one, just... one more, one more question. All right. So is it is it good money like sideshow stuff? Like, is Absolutely it legit? Not. No. Okay. No, I mean it's we weren't <clears throat> we the, our biggest show we did was well. We, the one that we were supposed to do was the exotic erotic ball, which was like 30,000 people. And we ended up doing, uh, that was canceled. It was in San Francisco. And we drove all the way down there, but we ended up doing a show for like 2000 people, which is pretty awesome. Then we did the, um, uh, um, it's a bit, it's a new year's rave in Seattle. I can't think of the name right now, but that was like another, I think that was 10,000 venue. Um, yeah. so we performed in front of like some big shows. I think for that, 10,000 venue when I got like 125 bucks. Typically it was a couple of drink tickets. And like, if you go to the ER, like we'll buy your Percocets afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wow. Yeah. They were like, like a, a free show. Meal. I've seen some, I've seen some wild shit at shows, man. When they get them sideshow guys in like, uh, I know a lot of it's training, like sword swallowing. And like, I've seen the nail in the nose. Like, mm-hmm. you know, anyone could really do that if you work, your body and train your body we but i've seen dudes like staple his nutsack to his wife's tit like through a hundred dollar yeah. bill and like 
there's no preparation for that. You just you, you squeeze the trigger and hope for the best. That's, and that's, that's, that's shit, man. That's insane to me. No, listen, listen. You know those like wall hooks that you would hang your bike on? Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy that would take two of those that had a chain link that was holding a cinder block. And he would put them like in his eyelid right here, right? And and pull that fucking cinder block off the ground. And two guys would take sledgehammers and hit either side of that cinder block and break the cinder block while it was hanging from his eyes. I've seen people lift buckets of sand with their eyelids, but I ain't never seen them fucking beat a goddamn brick hanging from it with a sledgehammer. I believe he broke his eye socket. I, I know once, but I think twice doing that trick. For one hundred and twenty-five dollars, <laughs> like and, and Percocet. Hey, yeah, you know, Percocet too. YouTube pay, man. You hey, know, hey man, Percocets go for a lot on the street, so he probably got way more money out of the Percocets than he did the fucking the, <laughs> the monetary gain. But I mean, at that point, you kind of need the pills. You can't really sell them on the streets. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would take a, I would do one where I would drop trowel and I would take like a porcelain dinner plate, put it in front of my junk, and a guy would take an axe and break the plate over my. Man, y'all must be tight. Y'all must be some close ass friends. And like, because I I love both of you to death, but I ain't going to let either one of you get near my junk. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) One of the, especially with a fucking axe. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing with your lives? I would lay on a big set of nails and we'd put like five porcelain plates on me. And the guy would climb a ladder and drop a bowling ball and it would smash all the plates while I was laying on the bed of nails. That is crazy. Uh, I got so how I met Angela was. Um, I was performing in the circus. The reason I got brought on was because I was a piercer, so I could do the suspensions. Yeah. Originally, I wasn't supposed to be in the show, but I kind of just we- weaseled my way into the show pretty much. Um, but Angela was what was called a grinder girl, and so she wore a leather bikini that had metal plates over the boobies and the you know the chocha and the bunghole. And then she'd have like these little metal plates here, and so she would take a, like a little angle grinder or whatever and be like b- busting a um uh sparks off her titties and stuff like that yeah i've seen i've tricks. seen that it's really cool that's nah, what, i that's didn't see her do it but i've seen it done before you know yeah that's that's how i met her is that's what she started doing and so we got cool pictures from like the first year we were we met where she's like standing on my face and it's in a pile of broken glass or i'm laying on a um there's really cool picture where i'm laying on a bed of nails and she's standing on top of me with her arms in the air like she just won the goddamn Olympics. And then the whole <laughs> roof of this club was skateboards. Like it was wallpapered, skate, like actual skateboards drilled into the roof. So it's a really cool like visual of like right. me, you know what I mean? Getting stomped out by her and then all the skateboard decks and stuff. See, Dude, see like- that's the Christmas card I want. And nobody fucking sends me shit like that in the mail. <laughs> that's the, that's the, <laughs> the, the save the date thing that I want to see is your face in a pile of broken glass and your you wife standing on your fucking ear. You have a hair sample? <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I got, I got a, a sample of his wife's hair, Audie. It's so fucking awesome. So, I'm like, I can right now. Like, I could do all that with like just Photoshop, man. It's Photoshop, like, kill the the industry, like you know, like <laughs> Photoshop killed the sideshow star. Yeah, I think that's you know a song. What? So, I just come up with a great idea. I'm gonna do some photoshopping. <laughs> I'm gonna be hanging for some some shit. Just. Just wait. I'm gonna post some pictures. I'm gonna show you. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Well, like, like stuff like that. You know, like here you are doing all these crazy fucking pictures, and like at the time it was like, yo, this is this is real. But then you got those those assholes that that could easily Photoshop that. It's like, eh, 
I mean, you, yeah, you can see it and be like, yeah, they're taking away from it. But if you're not really there, then you then it kind yeah. of loses. Yeah, like if you're not, I mean, but that's really anything, you know, the experience. No, I know. Of being there for me right. and her was being there performing. Yeah. But you know, there's people that were at the show that you know have that memory of it too. Yeah. And it's just like a cool photo of yeah. that her and I get to share from something cool we did. Right. That there was we had professional photographers that like really you know were into their the yeah, art. It's obviously not photoshop more or less i was just painting a picture with just people being assholes and yeah, like me sure. i would photoshop my me hanging from my taint you know <laughs> just to be an well, asshole there are people no out there who fake it right like uh because i've been a, i've been to a place before and i saw a married couple do the sideshow thing and like she was a pretty big gal and she's just stomping and jumping on broken glass and I'm like, there's no way that's broken glass. Like she would be <laughs> fucked up. Like, but it had had a sound. I'm thinking it was like those clear gemstones that you can buy that you put in a, right. a pot that you grow a plant in. You know what I mean? Like there's got, I know that there's got to be tricks of the trade, certain things you so, can do. Like for instance, one of the tricks we did that was pretty simple. And if you think about it, it makes absolute sense is we would get a 10 foot rebar, you know, and with the grinder girl would kind of grind down the end but we would sit it right here in our throat, right? And then another guy down on the other end would put it in his throat. And then we sit there and we bend it with our throats. Well, a two foot rebar, you can't bend that. A 10 right. foot rebar, you can bend. Yeah. But as the girl's hitting it with the, the, the metal sparks are coming off of it while you're bending it and shit, it's more of the illusion, right? Yeah, <clears throat> it's fucking cool to see, man. Right. And like, you know? so for instance, one of the tricks we'll talk about is my dick ripping story. Yeah. And <laughs> i'm ready when you are dude <laughs> the trick to that so the trick to this one right i had a prince albert piercing and i had it for probably 20 years i don't know but it was a, a two gauge and i wore Hold on before we say that the dick the prince albert there's multiple dick piercings like a jacob's ladder right where they got barbells that go up the top of the shaft when i was a piercer, um jacob's ladder on a ufc fighter you did like what straight through the head type i shit? did a jacob's ladder on a ufc fighter Oh, no shit. Yeah, his name was... You Jeff know what Moffin. sucks? We just gained... We went up 8% in the last couple of days on women listeners. I can't wait to see the percentage after this <laughs> fucking episode. Um, so thank you all ladies who who watch and listen. But anyway, so a Prince Albert explained that exactly for those that don't know, that aren't familiar with uh, dick piercings. <laughs> There's really you, no nice way to say it. Use, when you show us on the screen, use the, the small finger. This Actually, one. hold on. I just got something in the mail today. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so this is a Malcolm McDowell uh no Oh cool, the mask. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen one of those. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So like, I got what, it yesterday. Did you buy them? So um there's a guy named um the angry unboxing nerd Mike Tapp. And he's been a collector for a long, long time. And he did like a box. Like if you gave him so much money, you're guaranteed more value in your box than yeah. what you paid. This was one of the items I got. I actually but got where does that mask come from besides him? Like, is that a trick or treat studios thing or what's yeah, the Danny story? Elfman pop? Oh mask. wow, that's cool. Um so uh, but I've never is, I've never seen a mask yeah, like that from the clock I did not know they existed. Now I know yeah, what dude. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna get Malcolm McDowell to autograph that. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's let's get back on the the Prince so, Albert piercing. Show us how this works. You have a uh, urethra here, which is the pee hole. The pee hole, right? 
Well, back here, after it's been circumcised, back here uh, underneath the head, there's a little sweet spot where before the shaft, right? Oh, I'm familiar with it. So <laughs> the piercing goes in through the urethra and it huh. comes out through that little sweet spot in the okay. bottom. And it's typically like a ring or a little barbell. So you have a little ball. So there. when you piss, ball is it like a shower head? Like, yeah. Like, do you sit yeah, to pee because yeah. it's going everywhere? Yeah. And if you hold it right, you can I would. go like, <laughs> like a fucking sprinkler. Does it really do that or no? The spring, if, you, if you try hard enough. So your piss actually comes out like that. It'll hit the I jewelry just... and, and fucking spray. Okay, well, since my accident, um, I am, uh, unless in public, I sit to pee. Make okay. your jokes now, you assholes. No, no, no. I ain't going to make fun of that. <laughs> oh, you're you're quite a manly I mean, yeah, man. I'm not going to make fun of you for sitting down. <laughs> you, you got, you've had your dick pierced. I'm not about to compare each other's yeah. fucking dicks. Like, nope. nah, nah, yeah. It's simply nah, because I'm I don't want to clean up the mess. If you thought, like, it, boys had a hard time peeing in the toilet before a dick rip, once you have a dick rip, because the way it healed... It's like, you know, when you take a hot dog and you microwave it for like 30 seconds too long, and it's split split in the end. That's what uh -huh. it looks like now. But it kind of makes the head of my dick look a little bit bigger, too. So I'm not bummed about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. So what's the scar tissue like? The sensation? Is it still kind of sweet to have it, you know, touched well, or whatever? <laughs> So I'm trying not to be too graphic because I don't want to scare away the listeners, but I, I, I gotta I know, man. Rip. I love on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, when you're circumcised, right? And I'm gonna get kind of scientific on you guys right now, but when you're circumcised, because you no longer have that protective layer of skin over the head, it gets desensitized from like rubbing on your jeans and just every day banging it around, right? right. So it gets desensitized, they say like 80% compared to someone who hasn't been circumcised. Wow. So, when you get older, if you get a Prince Albert piercing because of the location, it opens up nerve endings that have been pretty much shut off your whole adult life. So it brings back sensation that you lost because you were circumcised or, yeah, circumcised. Hmm. So is that typically why people get the Prince Albert piercing? Right. It's to bring back sensitivity, but then it also kind of acts as like a French tickler for, you know, your partner. For the lady. Okay. Right. Wow. But, uh, I know why, like, you know, you get eyebrow piercing or a septum piercing because it looks cool, but you don't really walk around with your dick hanging out. So I always wondered why people get their dick pierced. Depends what profession you're in, I suppose. <laughs> um, the other thing is, too, is actually the, the how I ripped it out and everything. Yeah. Is, is an actual, even if you didn't have a Prince Albert piercing, there's a medical um, procedure you can get called a meiotomy. And what it is, is it's a lengthening of your urethra. Is that when you, you're you sick of having your Prince Albert and you're like, you got to get this get, get this me out of me. Get this out of me. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Typically, it's when you have a, a small urethra. It's like a lengthening of it. So it makes it easier, like less painful for guys to pee. Um, okay. but, but it's also an elective surgery you can have done to get sat back sensitive sensitivity. So basically what I did by tearing it out was making it 70 times more sensitive so it's a lot more pleasurable and like i said that little tear makes the head just a wee bit bigger that's awesome so you've literally <laughs> you literally have a swollen member then at this point yeah pretty much that's but fucking sweet i don't know if i told you this or not but the cool thing is you have you ever heard of the show portlandia i've heard of it but i've never okay. watched it so if you watch the first five minutes of portlandia they actually talk about me ripping my dick out and really so this 
the show that we were performing at, there's a punk band. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're called uh, Poison Idea. And they're kind of like a gutter punk band. They've been around for like 35 years. They're from Portland. And they're they're very big in like the Portland, like, or not the Portland, but in like the kind of like gutter punk scene. Like they, they're like very, very old, well-known band. <clears throat> and um, uh, they they only perform once a year now, and it's on New Year's Eve. And it's in Portland. And so we were their, their opening act. And so this is kind of like a big deal in Portland in the punk rock scene was to be at this show. Well, we opened the show and that's where I did my trick where I tore my Prince Albert out. And about, I'd say about eight months later, the show comes on on Netflix and I, my phone blows up. They're like, dude, you got to go watch Portlandia. I'm like, what's up? They're like, they talk about you. I'm like, what? And he's like, another text. Go watch Portlandia. They talk about you. I'm like, what the hell? So I go wow. home, turn it on, and they talk about a guy picking up a car battery with his dick and, and tearing it out. And they say the Jim Rose Sideshow Circus, but it was actually us. So I don't know where that, why they used the name, but they actually said Jim Rose when it was actually us. But Isn't they that were, a real sideshow company, the Jim right. Rose one? It is? Right. Okay. But they were actually, but there was writers at our show. So, right. But yeah, so this is season about, one, episode one. It's right when the fucking home. Yeah. They're walking through Portland, and what, the guy is explaining to the girl how weird Portland is and the weird yeah. things you'll see and the, how kooky it is or whatever. And he's like, Yeah, you might see a guy, you know, pick up a car battery with his day. Like, you know what I mean? Fred Armstrong. So, so I gotta ask this, Vlad. Was it an interstate battery or like an Everstart diehard? It was battery? a diehard for sure. Oh. Uh, I had to go. Because I was about to say, one. if it was interstate, you probably could have got a little bit of an endorsement. Like I think Bobby Labonte was the uh, one of the interstate NASCAR drivers. They they would just put like a bloody cup on the hood of their car, or <laughs> no, it would just be like hey, who knows? It, it would be like Prince Albert and a blown out dick. I don't know. No, I, um, you could have made a lot of money off that, dude. I'd have, I'd have been like, "Where's my royalty check?" <laughs> yeah, no shit. There's, there's <laughs> one thing I want to say, and then there's a question I want to ask. Um, one, you, you talk about how weird Portland is. Everyone I know that's been to Portland's, lived in Portland, say it's fucking full of some strange individuals. I was watching a cartoon with my son. I think it was uh, Superhero Squad. It's about Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, all the Marvel characters, but they're kind of like little kids. But anyway. They're all like standing around at a bus stop and this old lady gets off the bus and sees Iron Man and all these guys hanging out. She's like, oh, it's worse than Portland. Like, <laughs> I was like, what the I fuck? I heard it. I've heard that. Before. People just dress up like it's a fucking weird town or what? There, there's this dude and he was a part of that same wrestling show that we were on. And he wore like Coke bottle glasses that were like probably from the 60s. He used to wore them in, in early 2000s. He was bald, but like had super long hair on the sides and was always like super greasy long. And he kind of had that Joey Ramone kind of mm. posture. And he dressed in an Elvis outfit and walked around town with a ukulele. Couldn't play a lick. And uh, he, that he was just like the town dude. You know what I mean? Right. But that but it's a whole town of people like that. Right. That They're makes sense. Weird and quirky and. It's just, it's such a weird place to be. I don't even know how to, you really feel like you're on like, at, like you ate mushrooms in like 
popped into some weird little dream or something. What is it about that town that makes all the fucking the weirdos of the world congregate there? Like, what's the fuck? What um, is I think originally, so the Pacific Northwest was actually like founded. I mean, it was founded before the 60s, right? Like, I'm, I'm not dumb. I understand that part of it. But a lot of people in the six, late, late 60s and 70s settled here because it was a very liberal place. They wanted to open, like, you know, forests to build their farms and grow their weed. And you know what I mean? So a lot of, like, weirdos from the 60s and 70s all, like, drove their Volkswagen vans up here and then pitched tent. And it's like they've just been eating drugs ever since. Right, and they're breeding, and now they're fucking their kids. Kids are fucking weirdos. So it's yeah. like some hills have eyes in their dick. Like, yeah, right. It's like that Portland hills have eyes. It's like right here. You know the right. that band Heart. Yeah. So the chick with black hair from Heart, she like lives right up the road, and her daughter. I know her. I've seen her daughter. I've met her a few times. That girl is absolutely out of her damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> really, like, and I'm like. I'm thinking like heart, right? Like they were huge in like the early '80s, so they were partying with like Molly Crew and shit. Like, right. yeah, that girl's twisted. You know what I mean? Like, that's how wow. Portland, or that's how it is up here, so, especially so, like considering like the grunge, like uh, uh, what's his name, Kurt, Kurt Cobain's from like half an hour from my front door. You know what I mean? Like where he okay. was born and shit. So it's like a very kind of depressed, drug-induced area mm. of the country. It's always raining here, man. Like. I've heard that the depression comes because it's always raining and like one of the highest like cities with suicide rate or whatever is like Seattle. Like yeah, so many people kill themselves in Seattle and they say it because it's always fucking raining and it's people are just bummed out. It's gray out. You know what I mean? Like you get yeah. two months of sunshine and like other than that, it's like gray or raining. So that's know? a real thing. It's not a stereotype. It's, that's how no. it is. huh? That's yeah. Wild. I mean, like, it beats you down after a while. I mean, imagine like you're the the worst, you know, snowstorm lasting 10 months. Right. Right. It starts to beat you down after a while when you can't go out and get the vitamin D from the sun. And you know what I mean? But when it, when it is summer here, when we do get those two months, we live in a forest that has like beautiful blue lakes and salmon float swimming around. You pick them up out of the water, you know, and it's gorgeous for two months. But after that, it's rough. Two months. Mm-mm. So <laughs> let's uh let's get let's get back on this uh peepee piercing ripping story here. <laughs> um so first of all, the one thing that I, I already said what I wanted to say about Portland and the superhero cartoon. My my question was why do they call it a Prince Albert? Do you know? Was there a story behind that? I think the original story that I heard was that the 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 origin of the piercing was that Prince Albert had a little dick. And that okay. Um, th- at the time they wore these like tight. I'm, I'm I know that wasn't spandex, but it was like kind of like a tight spandex white jean and tucked in a brown boot, knee tall brown boot was like mm. the men's fashion. And so he didn't want to come off like smaller than the rest. If there's truth to that, I don't know. Okay. Um, but that's supposedly where that came from. Okay, now walk mm. me through this. There's a battery on the floor, a ring in your dick. You got to take a chain. What do you use? Chain, rope? What is chain. it? Yeah. So basically, and you hook your dick piercing up to this battery and you just kind of, it's a short chain and you just kind of stand up or what? Um, The chain, no, I could, I could probably stand mm-hmm. up with just the chain hooked and it wouldn't pull the battery off the ground. So okay. what I normally did is I have, you know, those little like little 
<clears throat> metal um like little step stools and they kind of fold they're like that you know yeah but they were like two feet three you know two and a half feet off the ground right so i'm up on that put it over kind of pick myself up and then pull it up off the ground and swing it back and forth dumb question does it hurt do you have to condition yourself to get better at this because i'm sure that wasn't your first time doing it right the first time I did it was right before a show. And basically the guy, Noel, who it was his show, he like ran the show. Um, I Because I was just just doing the piercings and sometimes, you know, doing these little bit parts, I wanted something of my own that I could do. And so I went up to him and I was like, hey, man, I think I can do this. And he's like, I'll tell you what, if you can go do it in front of all of us right now, I'll let you do it tonight in the show. <clears throat> so never done it before. Went up, hooked a uh, carabiner onto it fucking because we used the car battery for other tricks so it's not like we just randomly had a car battery laying around we used it for <laughs> right other yeah i would imagine so. But, so i took the carabiner and clipped clipped it to my dick and i like just stood up picked it uh, you know a foot you know eight <laughs> inches off the ground swung it back and forth a few times and everyone's lost their minds they're like wow you know what i mean like freaking out <laughs> My dick that's this big was about this long. I, I was <laughs> gonna I mean? say it's gotta stretch the fuck oh, out. Yeah. It's all skinny and long and like it was cool gotta... because it went from short and stout to long and skinny. I just went a little bit long and stout, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh yeah, so I I did it for them real quick, and this is at a club in Seattle called Shop Suey. And so I picked it up and I did it for them real quick, set it down, unclipped it, and they're like everyone's losing it. And so that night I did it in the show and they were like, you have to do it every time now. Oh. And it was like, it was uncomfortable. Like you, I definitely felt the weight tugging on it, but not to a point where I thought I was going to rip it or like tear the piercing out. And so I'd done the trick a bunch of times, but this one show, um, like I said, we were performing down in Portland and we lived in Seattle and that stand that I would normally do the trick on someone left in Seattle. So when we got there, our, we when we realized we didn't have it, we had the bed of nails, which is, you know, a, a much, much higher off the ground. And so I was like, all right, I'll just I'll stand up on the bed of nails, pick up the thing, do it. And then, boom, we're done. Well, I get up. I'm on the bed of nails. They put the the um, battery on the bed of nails and I clipped it, put it over the edge and start swinging it back and forth. This is where I fucked up. <laughs> this is where I fucked up. So instead of just grabbing the chain and putting it back on the um, uh, bed of nails and just unclipping it, you know what I mean? That for whatever reason, that didn't occur to me. I grabbed the chain in my hand. I think it was one handed, actually. Grabbed the chain in my hand and jumped down off the bed of nails. Oh, when, no. When my feet hit the ground, the chain went through my hand through. and pulled the jewelry right out. Ah. Did you faint? There's actual, there's actual video of all of this. I had a fainted. And I'm trying to get my hands on a copy currently. I'll be back, guys. Keep talking amongst yourselves. Right on. And so um, in the video, it literally shook because I had my boxers on and it showed my dick like snake its way back into my boxers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, out. yeah, and it was like snakes back into my boxers. And it like freaked me out, right? Because I it, at first I it didn't occur to me. I'm like, how come that's not no longer? It did, I didn't think about it ripping out. And then I barely looked at it, stuffed it in my pants, and zipped up my pants. And the MC, you know, looks over at me and he goes, "Hey man, are you all right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm good." He's like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And and 
at that point i was supposed to go back and start putting the needles in my buddy to put the hooks in them to go finish the show so i get back there he runs back and he's like hey man are you okay and i'm like yeah man let's sit down I'm like let's get these hooks in you and so he sits down and, and you have to massage the where you're going to put the hook in yeah to separate the um skin from the fat layer you know so i'm like kind of massaging him and i lean back and i hit my head on the wall and he like flips around he's like dude are you okay i'm like yeah man i'm fine i'm fine started doing it again and mm. boom, I hit my head on the wall and he's like dude you are not putting needles in me right now he's like you need to go to the hospital yeah so i'm like i'm like all right man whatever so i we took a bunch of like um paper towels and like wrapped it up they put me in my buddy's car who lived in portland and we went to uh i don't remember it's in southeast portland somewhere we went to the hospital we get to the hospital and um they bring me in and this is so now keep in mind this is like 11 o'clock on new year's eve they bring me into the hospital and uh the uh nurse is like what's wrong with him they're like he had a circus accident a car battery tore his dick in half and the girl's <laughs> like oh my god and like the whole time i'm sitting there my pain level i don't know if it was out of shock or anything but really i i was maybe at a one two like it hurt but like not i had headaches that were worse you know what i mean yeah. so i was like i wasn't freaking out but everyone else was freaking out around me and so she rushes me back there's people out there like arms broken in half and shit and she like rushes me back <laughs> so she gets me back there and this i shit you not this male nurse comes in i gotta take my hat off for this this male nurse <laughs> comes in and he walks in he's like <laughs> show it to me <laughs> i have it like zipped up and wrapped up and i'm like this is your job man like <laughs> why are you scaring me so I like I unwrap it and he looks at it and he's like, oh my god, like freaking out again, you know, like oh yeah, your and typical like, ER employee has seen some shit. And for that, I mean, I guess, yeah, they could probably got PTSD from that. Thanks a lot, lad. Like, who who why did you send me a male nurse? <laughs> right. That's oh, yeah, personal. that's even worse because a, a, a man is just gonna sit there and try to imagine like, what you're going through right now right. and just be fucking traumatized for it. So, so I unwrap it. He looks at it and he's like, he's like, let me get you some pain meds. So he immediately comes back and shoots me up with Dilaudid. I don't know if either of you have been on Dilaudid, but it's my favorite drug in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's immediate relaxation. <laughs> right. But uh, So he, he shoots me up with Dilaudid and I'm like, okay, I'm like trying to relax. They go and there, there's several doctors that look at it. And finally they come in like 1230 or so. And they're like, look, you need surgery and we can't do surgery till tomorrow. So we're going to keep you comfortable all night. There's somebody's going to come in and they're going to give you the Dilaudid. And if you need a Percocet, we'll give you a Percocet. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's New Year's Eve. I'm stuck in the emergency room. I'm going to have a good time. Like, fuck this, right? I was all about myself. I'm having a good time. So the lady comes in, hits me with the Dilaudid. Comes back an hour later. Like, you need a Percocet? What's your pain level at? Nine. Throw me a purchase at since you leave. Come back a little bit later. Hit me with the lot and come back a little. Uh, what's your pain level at nine? There was one point I was dead ass asleep. She woke me up and asked me what my pain level was at. I told her it was an eight. She hit me with the lot and I went back to bed. Man. <laughs> my mentality was, is I'm in the emergency room. They're not going to let me OD. So I might right. as well like, see what, have as How much Or you could take it. So I was yeah. partying with the chicks the whole time, like the nurses and stuff. I'm all like, you know what I mean? High as shit, talking shit, fucking having a good <laughs> Everybody wanted to come in and talk to me about the accident. 
Meanwhile, you got an open wound because you had to wait for a surgeon to come in. So your dick's just split. I mean, remember those, God damn, remember did they give fire? you a catheter? Like, how would you have to piss? What's what the fuck? That didn't come till the morning. Imagine, imagine if you took like, remember those firecrackers, lady fingers? Yeah, yeah. And you put one of those in the tip. That's kind of what it looked like. Pow. And then so I got 20 stitches and a catheter in the God. morning that put me into surgery. They knocked me out for it. 20 stitches, 10 on the inside, 10 on the outside, and a catheter, right? So they wrapped me up, you know what I mean, with the catheter on me. I actually did a photo shoot with the catheter out, um, which was pretty fun. <laughs> but uh, I was riding like a lowrider bicycle, and I was wearing an Eddie Munster shirt. It was fucking dope. That uh, sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll show you some pictures. But uh, um so they, we should they post that up for our Patreon. Uh, if, if you're okay with this, I'd love to put this kind of stuff on our for our Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah, I got a bunch uh, of pictures from that photo shoot. Uh, I got one, you know, those little wooden boxcars. I'm, like, sitting all gangster in a boxcar with my foot out. You can see a big pee bag on my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Why is none of this on an album cover? What the fuck? <laughs> like, somebody hire this man and, and pay for these pictures just so I can see him on the cover of a fucking CD. But the funny, so the next day they released me from the hospital and they gave, they're like, look, uh, we're going to shoot you with Dilaudid one more time and we're going to give you a prescription of Percocet to take home with you. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I walk out, fill my prescription. And the whole time I was trying to, I'm a big like clothes nerd. I love buying clothes, like brand new clothes. Okay. My passion. Um, and I was trying to convince everyone, like we're in Portland, we need to go shopping while we're here. And they're like, dude, you just ripped your dick in half. You have 20 stitches in your dick. We're going home. And I'm like, no, no, right. no, let's go shopping. And they're like, yeah. no, we're not going shopping. So finally, top has got a new new sale out. <laughs> There's a new I mean, Hardy Boys sleeve yeah. I need to get. Yeah, I need to go to Eric Comrie and Finch. <laughs> but uh, so they so there's finally don't insult this man like that, Audie. You don't shop at Abercrombie and Finch. <laughs> I'm just saying the dude, like, as high as he was I, on Perks, said he might have. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like this dude's on Perks, dicks ripped. Like, let <laughs> this man go wherever the fuck he wants. If this man wants to go to fucking, you know, I don't know, Spencer's <laughs> or something, let this man go. <laughs> yeah, let him do what he wants. He's like one of those Make a Wish kids. Is fucking dick yeah. ripped in half. Take him to Disneyland or something. Our doctor go. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But the next, so they convinced me not to go shopping, and we're driving home on I five, like going back to Seattle, and uh, they I make them pull over so I could puke. So every car that's going, I'm like, and every car that's going by honking their horn at me because it's New Year's Day. So they all think I'm hungover. And I'm like, no, you have no idea how bad this really is. I'm dying over here. You know what I mean? But they're all like, I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not it. Right. uh, But the the worst part is, so when I left the hospital, they were like, yo, we wrapped it up. Don't touch it for two weeks. Come back in. We're going to take the catheter out check the stitches, boom, boom, boom. So I'm like, all right, cool. Leave it alone for two weeks. So like five days in, man, I'm in so much pain. I can't stand up straight um, without it feeling like it's ripping all over again. Like it was like I was in a bad, bad way. And then my old lady's like, <clears throat> you need to go back to the hospital. Like this isn't right. You can't go another week and a half like this. So I go back in and the lady's like, dude, you were supposed to clean that with this and see something, blah, blah. I'm like, this is what they told me when I left. And so they had to like take everything off and all the stitches had like pulled apart at that point. 
Oh and my they're, god, dude. They're like basically like, look, we can try to do this all again, or you can just go the rest of your life like this. I'm like, I'll just go. It's fine. I got an ear torn out, like my dick's no different. I just want to point out that you have a combat veteran cringing right now. Like this man is seen <laughs> some shit. Dude. And, and, <laughs> like I'm like kegling with my butthole right now. Right. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, dude. Fuck like, that. No, like I like getting kicked in the balls is the worst thing a man could ever like experience, better alone getting your your head like the most sensitive spot just blown out like a split tongue. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, if I had a choice yeah. to get kicked in the balls 25 times by a horse or get my yeah. dick ripped in half, the who's got a yeah. horse? Line, line oh, yeah. it up. Baby. Line that horse up. Yeah. <laughs> Bring like, it. I, I would say this. I would never fight Vlad ever just for the simple <laughs> fact this man has had his dick ripped. It, <laughs> what are you going to do to him that's going to hurt yeah. him? Like, there, oh, he's going to break my nose, tough guy? Yeah. I have my dick ripped in half. <laughs> <laughs> One time when I, did live in, when I did live in Portland, this guy made a really good point to me once, and it's something I've always kind of thought about. <clears throat> but I worked at this tattoo shop in downtown Portland, and one day I'm sitting outside, and he was like kind of like, no, he wasn't a small dude or nothing, but I was sitting outside, and he was standing in front of me, and the sun was like right behind him. And I looked up at him, I was like, hey, man, you know, I never noticed how many scars you have on your face. He's like, yeah, man, that's why I don't fight people like you. And I'm like, why is that? And he's like, look at your hands. All your scars are on your hands. And I'm like, and at the time, you know, I was kind of young and pretty. So I was like, you know, my face wasn't as beat up as it is now. So I got it. But I was like, look at my hands. I'm like, man, he's got a good point. Always check somebody's hands. Uh, yeah, because that's from teeth and eyebrows, man. Yeah. All them scars. You just one up too, Vlad. Like now you got like that gone. So it's like, I'm, yep. I'm telling you, dude, it's my bond. I'm becoming a Bond villain. Slowly I, but surely. When, I finish, my, when I finish my platinum teeth, you know what I mean? I got I got right. the scar on my face already, you know. Yeah, dude. I ain't <laughs> fucking with you. I ain't getting into no fucking mosh pit with you. <laughs> I was All like right, I'm like the most like every if any prison movie you've ever seen, like I would have been perfect as an extra on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> For sure. You need to try That's out a great as an extra, point. man. What's that? Yeah. I said you should try out as an extra at least. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure okay. they film. Get, get paid, uh, bro. I'm sure well, they, they film movies out where you're anymore, at. But... Yeah, but I'm sure there'd be some something other movie. like it. Yeah. You know, what like been in Vikings, that would have been brutal. Well, I'm sick of having sympathy pains where uh, my penis is. So let's change the subject over to Club Kids, the the main event of the night. The we should. Club Kids the musical. Can we sing all of our parts? <laughs> Anything to make so me forget about dancing, honey. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> so before I get into my little description here of what the the club kids are, um, why don't you give a brief rundown, Vlad, about uh, just like how you knew them or how you were aware of them, and then I'll I'll go into uh, explain to everybody who doesn't know what they are, um, what the club kids are. So uh, where I lived in New Jersey, in Tom's River, um, Manhattan was like basically an hour and a half away. So um, Wednesday nights through Saturday nights, we would all basically go to New York and go to nightclubs, even though we were like 16, 17. Um, if you knew the right people, you got into places. Um, so my sister originally started going up to a place called Limelight, which is um, was a kind of like a techno club, dance club. 
inside of like a 200 year old catholic church looking very gothic you know and it's in, in, in the, and it's on 20th street and 6th avenue right in manhattan so it's like you know this super old like castle looking church and um each room there's multiple rooms that had like you know uh whatever different types of techno like gabber or you know what i mean like trance and things like that going on there was famous djs that would play there like kiyoki and you you'd go in there one night and like literally see like hell's angels up in this corner of the club you know japanese yakuza up in this corner of the club and then a bunch of like circus freak looking people dancing in the middle on you know what i mean that's um, so strange to me that they didn't uh have like problems i'm sure that there were sometimes but for all yeah. these people to be in this building and get along it's so strange it's you know i i bounced in different clubs between new jersey baltimore portland and or and seattle like i've bounced in like made big clubs and where I, we were getting in fights of like like 11 dudes are fighting 10 dudes and now eight bouncers get involved and now all of us are fighting in the streets like right. i've been in fights like that you know what i mean and literally when i went to that club like i know of issues that would that arose but there was never fights nobody and, was ever fighting anybody and you would think especially with somebody like the hell's angels being there like there probably wouldn't be much of fights it'd be guns and padlocks tied to the ends of bandanas and like people right. are getting hurt and in situations like that, it's like it's hard to tell who your enemy is. I know some of them were big, burly biker dudes, and the the other guys are Asians. But it's like when you're involved in a situation like that, it's like everyone's your enemy because all you want to do is walk away and survive. You know, right? Well, it's and I fucking think wild. Just the energy of the club and the people that were there and the things that were happening in the club at the time were kept it from becoming like an angry or violent atmosphere. Right. You know what I mean? Like. It, it even when someone I would see like people like freak out on drugs, there were people that were there to take care of them. And it was like squashed, like really, really fast. They were taken care of and there was no more issue. Like because the biggest issue that that club would have had um, being that they sold drugs internally would have been the police being there for a fight or of someone high on drugs who couldn't control it. And the police or an ambulance were going to need to be called like that was their biggest you know, issue was if that were to happen. So anytime that there was anything issue, like there was something small, it was dealt with so fast that no one knew it happened. And it was, you know, everything just kept moving. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to basically tell the listeners who the club kids were of my little script here. Uh, sometimes I like to do scripts. I do my own little research and I want you to feel free to butt in whenever if I say something that reminds you of something and you want to elaborate on it. Or if I say something when you're like, oh, actually, that's not true. This is what really happened. Please feel free to butt in. And uh, this is this is basically uh, I'm really excited to hear you talk about all these things because I only know about it from what I read on the Internet and what I've seen in movies. And let's just have a conversation about the club kids. Cool. Sure. I'm into it. All right. So the Club Kids was a group of young New York City dance club personalities. They were popularized by Michael Alleg, James St. James, and there's several other people in this in this group. But uh, they were basically a very flamboyant and uh, group of individuals, and they wore very extravagant costumes. In uh, 1988, Michael Musto, he wrote about the Club Kids and said that they were, quote, terminally superficial have dubious aesthetic values, and are master manipulators. Several of them uh, had 
very long lasting contributions to mainstream art and fashion. And I was talking about this earlier about how you see your emo kids and heavy metal kids and like Marilyn Manson, he'd have like just stripes across his face or paint just his forehead black or, or things like that. And Marilyn Manson's even in the movie party monster. Yeah. Um, He's the truck driver, right? We're going to get into that too. So a uh, former club kid, Walter Cassidy, you know who he is, Walt Paper, right? Walt Paper, yeah. He was a DJ at the club I hung out with a little bit. Yeah. Um, Walt Paper said that the nightclub was like a laboratory, a place where you were rewarded for experimentation. And I think that's kind of cool that people could just come there and be just very extravagant individuals. You know, they they celebrated individuality, and I thought that was pretty cool. I was just um, going to say that the people that were the most strange and the most unique were the most celebrated. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's. Uh. He. He was. He mentions that actually in the thing that I was reading about him. He was actually basically saying the same thing. That's really. That's fucking awesome. I think. So Michael Alec was kind of like the leader, I guess. Um. Would you agree with that or no? Like. Uh, yeah. I mean, the he ran the most popular club on the most popular nights in New York in the nineties and you know the late eighties and nineties in New York City. He was the promoter. You know what I mean for the biggest thing happening in New York City at the time. Right. Um, he basically, he came from, uh, he moved there in 1984. I think he's from South Bend, Indiana. And yeah. uh, he started hosting like small events. And so how, how accurate do you think the movie party monster is when he meets the character, uh, played by, uh, Seth Green, who did Seth Green play in that movie? I forgot. James St. James. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. Yeah. So did was James St. James really like jealous of him or how fast Michael took over? Cause James St. James was kind of the man at first. Right. And then Michael came in and kind of took it over. Or is that true or no? That's pretty much how it went. Um, James St. James still, I mean, they were on a very um, similar plateau, I guess you could say as far as like popularity and who knew them um, because Michael worked at, you know, was the promoter for the, for disco 2000 he was like the, you know, the number one guy, but he really became the number one guy by learning from James St. James. But in the club, like there, there wasn't, there was a, an outside world view of who was the top dog. And then there was the reality where Michael was the more flamboyant in your face, you know, personality. And James St. James was a little bit more reserved, but still swung the same amount of weight, if you will. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So later on, when it all started to kind of meet its own demises, um, would you agree that it was because Michael Alex started adding drug dealers to the roster of the club kids? And because, uh, like, we all know Michael later became plagued by drug use and everything. And right. why, why do you think he was bringing in drug dealers into the club kids? Like, I don't. Well, part of the the, the nightclub scene and that was real predominant with Limelight was that when you went there, you know, you would show up at. 11 12 o'clock at night and then you would be there till 6 a.m and then when they close at 6 a.m you'd go to after hours until like noon and then you would go have brunch and um once you were go to brunch then you would go home and go to sleep so that was like your day you know what i mean right Um, but so a lot of times it was well in limelight there was a drug like there was always drugs in the new york like club scene but they once they started selling within the 
like people that worked there that worked at the club when the club started providing the drugs i think is where it became a problem because then it was like more and more and more there was no um there was nobody to kind of stop that stop it it was you know what i mean typically right. there's outside influence selling drugs within your club and you, you use your bouncers and security or whatever to kind of quash that but when you're the club selling it there's no one to stop you like you can sell as much as you want and so things like cocaine where if i'm going to be up from six o'clock at night till noon the next day you know a couple of bumps while i'm drinking another bump of k you know oh, I mean? cocaine will definitely help you stay up for two three days if this is what you're trying to do so exactly. okay that makes a lot of sense and i'm sure there was money to be made in the whole drug scene too i'm sure absolutely well there's um, oh go ahead no you go ahead oh uh, there was times like you know honestly i would go this is before i started working there i would go there party the entire night there was one time we were driving back from the club and i had passed out in the car with my hand clutched and we got pulled over by new jersey state troopers and they kind of questioned everyone in the car we were all like you know 18 19 years old and the whole time i was awake but i pretended i was passed out because i could feel in my hand i had a vial of something a bag of something and we and like a nugget of weed which in the 90s was a bad thing um right like clutched in my hand and fortunately we drove off well, once we drove off and i opened my hand i had a 50 vial of special k and a 20 bag of coke in my hand and a fucking nugget of weed but that was the thing is you would leave there and in your pockets you would find shit you didn't know you had right you know people are saying? giving away drugs for free as Jesus. samples or just Bro, you walk in or... one joint and walk out with like 300 dollars worth of shit on you because right. all night long a very popular thing is we'd get like either as a star tattoo like i have or an x and that's where people would put their bumps and you just right you know what I mean? one of my yeah. favorite stories is let me just tell you really quick because it's just so fucking funny and i it's one of my favorite memories of that place we were going from limelight, limelight? yeah we were okay. going from limelight one night to another club called the tunnel and it was owned by peter gation too it was owned by the same yeah guy. peter gation and, i was gonna get into him yeah that's awesome that you brought it up go ahead so so fucking michael alec is like hey we're gonna go to um tunnel do you want to go and i'm like yeah so i get into a limousine with him and like eight other people a couple of drag queens and like eight club kids and we're all sitting there and someone's passing like coke over me i think it was i might have been k but i think it was coke and somebody else was walking by hit it and it fell all over my lap and i shit you not i had two drag queens fucking three club kids trying to snort their shit off my lap and the whole time and so listen <laughs> So we're in a limousine. So I go like this and I look back just kind of like fucking high off my ass. And the whole ceiling is um, the, like a globe like laid out and all the little dots, uh, all these little lights are the main cities. And I was just like looking at it like, this is the best time of my life. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like losing. I was just so stoked. Like all these people are snorting drugs off my crotch. And I'm just like, woo! It's one of my favorite memories of that place. No, that's an amazing story. That's fucking awesome. Let me just tell you really one other quick one real quick. All right. Um, when you when I was telling you how like we used to go out all night and go to brunch, right? Yeah. Um, are, are you familiar with the uh, guinea pig series, the Japanese uh, gore flick, um, uh, the uh, Flowers of Flesh and Blood? No, that doesn't even almost mm -hmm. sound familiar. Howdy? Okay. So back mm -hmm. in like the early 80s, the this Japanese guy was making these like gore movies where it was like mutilation movies. And so one of them, it was called the guinea pig series. And one of them is called the flowers of flesh and blood where this guy, the movie is just like the first 10 minutes, this guy like creeping on a girl, like kind of washing from the bushes or whatever. Well, he kidnaps her, drugs her, takes her back to this like 
um, warehouse and like chops off her body parts while music is playing in silence. And um, it's it, for the time period. Now, if you watch Faces of Death now, you're like, this is stupid. And yeah. back if you watched it when it came out, you're like, oh my God. And that's yeah. kind of like how this movie was. If we watched it now, we're like, how on the earth? But listen to this. Charlie Sheen watched this movie. He thought it was real. And he called the FBI. The FBI raided this dude's warehouse. And he had to go to court and shit and prove that he didn't really kill this girl. It's kind of similar to Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. He had murdered somebody. I've heard this story on another podcast, honestly. I don't remember which one it was. But yeah, Charlie Sheen was so high out of his mind. He he was convinced he was watching a snuff film, right? So we're out to to brunch one day. And this is before I knew about the Charlie Sheen aspect of it. But I was told that night we were going to watch a snuff film. And it was Flowers of Flesh and Blood. And so for fucking like the longest time, I thought I saw a snuff film until I found out it was a regular movie. Okay. <laughs> so, so disappointed. When I was out yeah. lunch with like Michael Alec, that's who the, those are the ones who told me about the, the, the yeah. snuff but turned out to be the Charlie Sheen fucking bullshit. Like, one, like, so you watched. watched it with Michael Alec and he's the one who told you about this movie and you he, he told and you we it was really a snuff film? Was, yeah, we really thought it was a snuff film. So he thought it was a snuff film too then? At the time, right. This is like 95. Okay. Y'all some weird motherfuckers, man. Yeah, you, you like, party with some mother... I don't think I'd ever party so, with you. Do you remember in 1994, the scene started to die down when uh, Mayor Giulani... Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Giulani? Giulani. Mayor Giulani took office. Mayor Giuliani. And uh, he targeted the nightlife industry, and his movement was known as the Quality of Life Campaign. Does any of that sound familiar? Do you remember this? It does because I that's I was going there at the time, but it really didn't affect um, Limelight. I think it was till '96, which was um, after, um, like, pretty much after the murder and my, when Michael got arrested. Um, yeah, they did a raid shortly before that. Because when I got, because at the time I was in jail. Actually, when Michael got arrested uh, for the murder, he was in a town just south of me, but it was in the same part of New Jersey. And the county jail I was in, he was actually brought to. Um, and I think he was there for like 36, 48 hours. I never saw him, but then he got transferred to New York. So I did like my year there. And then when I got out of jail at that time, I went up to New York and the limelight was completely different. It was like a normal last nightclub in New York. Oh, so this was probably after Peter Gation owned it then, right? Or not? Right. That, after I got out of jail. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he owned it anymore at that point. Um, we'll, you know, we're def- we're, go ahead. What were you going to say? It, right before I went to jail in 96 is when the club got raided. Okay. But I was still going there when it got raided. I wasn't yeah, there night it got raided, but I was still like, fun- I was still going there at the time. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get into the angel, uh, into the murder of Angel here. Um, but I just want to say a couple more things about, uh, so Michael Alec, when he moved up here from South Bend, I believe, was his plan to, to replace Andy Warhol? And they started dressing up crazy to kind of make fun of the Andy Warhol and all those guys. But then they shortly kind of realized, like, uh, we just became everything that we made fun about. But they um, just, like, they kept rolling with it. Yeah, I, that part I'm not, like, 100% sure on. If that's something that you've probably heard in a documentary or something. It's, it was a direct quote from Michael Alex. So it just it made me wonder if, like, what was the whole thing with that? If, like, that was never ma- something that. I was new of like 
was ever expressed to me with anything right. about it at all. I know, like, later on, when Michael, like, was kind of the era that I knew him, he was more into, like, horror and gore shit, you know what I mean? Okay. More than, like, the 70s. Any, okay. Any you know, I would imagine earlier in his career, I could see him being more, like, obsessed with that era of things. Right, okay. Because I know so, he wanted to recreate whatever it was, Club 58 or whatever that club was. 54, Studio 54? Studio 54. I know that was, like, his idea was to create a cooler version of that. And that's where, okay. like, Warhol and all those dudes hung out. Yeah, yeah. And he's he, he was saying that they basically dressed up like all those people to make fun of them, and then they kind of got stuck in it. Right. And that's just what they did. But as their influence grew, so did their parties. Um, they started in burger joints, semi-truck beds. Um, so then they moved to bigger venues like, does the uh, area sound familiar? Danceteria, the Palladium. Palladium. I went to Palladium a lot. So, for example, the capacity, just to show how quick they grew, like, did they really take over Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's and Burger Kings? Like, they would invade these fast food restaurants and just, the, it was like a, it was an outlaw party is what they'd call it. They yeah. had a secret, like, all right, at midnight, we're going to go to fucking Burger King and we're just going to fucking party. And they just party in a Burger King. And everyone's like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? <laughs> That's exactly what they do. And he'd buy, like, you know, 300 burgers and just toss them to everybody. And yeah, like, why? Was it just to show how big their dick was and how easy it is to take over your bullshit? Or was it to have a, a middle finger in the face of society? Like, why do you think they did these things? I think a lot of it has to do with like, well, you know how they had those flash mobs a few years back? Oh, yeah. More of like a social thing, how you got recognized. And so everyone would run in a Target and do some fucking stupid dance. I right. Think, I think it's like an early version of that where you were establishing your scene because before them there, I mean, there was the disco era and stuff like that, <clears throat> but there was nothing for them to like really latch onto. There was no club for them to go to and they were trying to create something. And so there was okay. this flash mob mentality because when you're partying in a McDonald's, that's only going to last 15 minutes. So the cops get there and start splitting skulls. Yeah, exactly. Cause they would 19- throw parties in the subway with a boom box until the cops broke it up. And they right. would even have parties in ATM vestibules. Like, Right, like in the fucking glass dome where the ATM is, like they would literally have like 50, 60, however many people they could fit, and they'd just be fucking partying in a fucking ATM thing. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. It's not for me, but like, man, kudos to them for pulling this shit off. I'll say I was in that area, or I don't think I would have been a part of it either. (laughs) Right. Well, this was the start of it. Like, it just shows how much they grew because they would start by invading Dunkin' Donuts, and then they would fucking pack up the palladium and the palladium the capacity is 2160 people in the main room and then their room upstairs was another 500 people and so, that place would be sold out yeah that's what i mean like there's like fucking 3000 of these club kids just hanging out and like it all started in dunkin donuts and shit it's yeah. fucking wild to think about well and um, then you have like you crazy. get limelight on Wednesday night, Palladium Thursday night, Tunnel Friday night, Limelight Saturday night. And literally, you would go out every single night. Like, you know, Wednesday was the first night out, Disco 2000. You'd go out every night until, like, Sunday. And then Monday and Tuesday were your days off. Right. (laughs) Yeah, like to recuperate and rehydrate and shit. Pretty much. So, uh, Peter Gation, he owned, like, a bunch of clubs. Um, 
No, he got he got busted for tax evasion and got deported to Canada. And this was like was this was this around the same time Michael got in trouble for murder or was this was these two separate occasions or what? Um, I believe it's like after he got raided, it was a part of the like the investigation into why they were raiding him, you know, it was it was kind of like a joint thing with like the drugs that were moving in and out of limelight and who okay. where they were coming from. But then there was also his tax uh situation and I my I watched an interview with him not long ago where he was talking about opening more clubs again, but I don't know if that's ever happened or planning on happening, but uh, yeah, he got basically booted from the U S how accurate do you think the relationship between Michael Alec and Peter Gation is that was portrayed in the movie party monster? Like, do you think Peter really treated Michael like his son and just kept feeding him money and letting him fucking do all these crazy parties? And meanwhile, the fucking Peter Gation's wife is pissed off and, you got to get rid of these fucking club kids. That's a hundred percent accurate. Okay. Cause the guy that wrote a book about the club kids, he said that they were just like magnificent manipulators. And it's like, yeah. that's kind of how the movie portrayed Michael into manipulating uh, the Peter guy into like, just keep letting me throw parties, man. I promise the money's coming. You'll make money. Well, that's what I'm I think it was just money driven shit. Anyway, like the dude was like, I don't give a fuck what you do. Just bring me money. Right. Well, that's what, Go ahead, Avi. No, no, go ahead, man. Um, I, a lot of it was that, but I mean, like, when regardless, if you're the owner, if you were the Peter or Michael, they were both making a ton of money. And once that money came in, it's not like Peter was saying Michael stopped selling drugs in my club. He's like, let's make more money selling drugs in my club. Because yeah. let's be honest, Michael wasn't the one who was like getting the drugs and bringing them into limelight. Peter Gation had those um connections and was helping with that you know what i mean oh like, see they left that part yeah. out of the movie i don't remember yeah. that at all it wasn't well, solely michael that was bringing them in like Mike. they made it look like it was all angel because in the movie they kind of portrayed angel as like the fuck off kid like you got to pay your dues like they kind of treated him as a prospect and then when they found out he had drugs they let him kick it and hang out right that's, that's kind of how the movie portrayed it unless i'm mistaken because i've I haven't seen it as many times as you. I've only seen it like two times. Well, no, and you're and you're not mistaken. That is how they portray it. And that's really how that, that scene was, though. It was you're only a like a person in that scene if you were providing something, drugs, sex, you know, people promotion, uh, something. Yeah. Yeah, like you had to be somebody or provide something in order to be in the clique, in the crew, you know, to be right. And, to be a club kid. Right. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of people that showed up and um, they were dressed a certain way. Like, I never got all like that. I was more of like... You fucking liar. You liar. I got pictures of me and Jinkos <laughs> with Tommy Hilfiger shirts on, all right? That's the kind of guy I was. Jinkos and Tommy Hilfiger. Jinkos were fucking amazing. There's one more... Uh, I remember when I talked about how they would invade Dunkin' Donuts and ATM machines and shit. Yeah. There was a party mm -hmm. where... Uh, they invaded a cardboard shanty town of homeless people. Like, I don't know if it was under a bridge or what, but like they found out where all the it's homeless people were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And, and they just went in and took over all their cardboard houses and throwing parties in it. And they, uh, Michael Alec felt so bad afterwards that he like, he gave all the homeless people a bunch of crack. It was like, here's some fucking crack, here's some money. <laughs> Like, I don't know how true it is, man. This is just what I read on Wikipedia, so I don't know. I, I've never heard that specific story. But you, the, a, a funny thing about Michael Alec and just a little bit about, like, his, you could tell, like, the type of person he was, I always felt like, by this story was 
um, shortly before he killed Angel, I was actually at Michael's apartment. And when you went into his bedroom, it was just so fucking weird. In the center of his bedroom, he had like a, I don't know, like an eight by eight piece of uh, plywood on top of two uh, sawhorses. And in the corner of the room was a little double mattress that had like no sheet, a pillow, and then like the pillowcase was just disgustingly stained. And then like there was like a sheet maybe somewhere on the, you know what I mean? Like real crackhead style shit. Oh, yeah. But then on this piece of plywood was the most magnificent fucking Lego city you've ever seen in your life. Really? Intricate, fucking coolest looking Lego city I've ever seen in my life. That was, it was so fun. I can't even get out of my mind how cool it was. It was probably at least four feet tall. And there was like rivers and all kinds of shit, dude. It was insane. Well, I I could see a bunch of dudes being just so fucking high on blow. And like just fucking really getting into it and making this amazing Lego film. Like, I mean, I get it. That was, you know, one of the cool things about that period of time was the people that I hung out with in New York City, when I would go to their houses, they always had like the most interesting fucking decorations, right? So there was like this one lady who had, she had a, um, a fireplace mantle and I've always wanted to recreate it. And she took Barbie head dolls and made them all punk rock and shit and glued them. The whole top of her thing was like Barbie dolls, like big head dolls. They were all like punk rocked out with mohawks and stuff. And they were attached to the top of her uh, mantle, her uh, fireplace mantle. Um, You know, those like things you hang on the side back in the seventies and eighties on kids' beds. And it has like the little mirror thing and the little thing. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like one guy had a whole wall in his house completely covered in those things. Like he collected like a hundred of them and covered a whole fucking wall in them. And just really weird. Like you'd go in and people's houses were just like pieces of art almost like, you know what I mean? Right. It didn't have live, laugh, love on the fucking wall. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's (laughs) a good point. Well, they should (laughs) have. Yeah. Maybe those were some things that they should have fucking followed by. And, you know, that they wouldn't all be fucking ended up dead and shit. Um, so we're at two hours in. I definitely want to talk about the events that happened on March 17th in 1996 when Angel got murdered. And I know that you knew him. Um, so I hope this doesn't fuck with you too bad. But it, when we can't talk about the club kids without talking about this, you know? Yeah, for sure. So the events that took place on Sunday, March 17th, 1996, was the demise of the club kids as well as Andre Angel Melendez's life. Michael Alec and his other roommate, Robert Freeze Riggs, killed the former Limelight employee and drug dealer. It started over a debt that Michael owed. He owed Angel several, he owed him a lot of fucking money on drugs. It basically started with uh, Angel confronting him and them getting into a fight and Angel got the best of Michael and was kicking his fucking ass. Michael's yelling out, help me, help me. Freeze, the roommate, the other roommate came in, Robert Riggs. Grabs a hammer, hits Angel in the head three fucking times, knocks him out. Doesn't know how, I don't know how the guy didn't fucking die from this. But he hits him three times in the head. And then, according to whose testimony you read, they say that there was a cleaning chemical poured in Angel's mouth. And then they duct tape his mouth shut. And then they also say, according to whichever story you want to believe, one person says pillow, the other person says sweater. But they say after they put Drano or whatever in his mouth, duct taped him, they smothered him with either a pillow or a sweater, threw him in the fucking bathtub, and he sat there for five to seven days. 
He started to stink. So Robert Riggs, also known as Freeze, went to Macy's. He bought a two-inch cleaver or a two-inch butcher knife and a cleaver. They cut off his fucking legs. They put one leg in a garbage bag, the other leg in a garbage bag, dumped it in the Hudson River. Then the following day, they took his upper body, they wrapped it in a sheet, placed it in a garbage bag, then put it in a cardboard box. And Robert Riggs, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard they bought a TV just to have a big giant box to put the guy in. And they covered up the UPC code so it couldn't be traced back to him. And they took this fucking box downstairs through the lobby. And when they got outside, there just so happened to be a taxi cab there. They hailed a taxi, threw the box in the fucking trunk, took the uh, taxi cab to the Hudson River area. And then they fucking tossed the box in the fucking river. And um, I don't I didn't do a ton of research on this because by the time I was fucking getting into it, I'm like, fuck, we got to go live. That's about all the information I have on this murder. Right. Um, but does any of those things, does any of that sound like bullshit from what you remember in the news or because I learned all of this stuff after the fact. I saw yeah. Party Monster just as a weird movie. I didn't even know it was a true story. Right. And then just coincidentally, about two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, fuck, I remember that weird movie. And then but by that time, I knew these were true events. Right. And it was just strange that I hit up Audie and I'm like, dude, we should do a fucking episode on the club kids and he's like fuck yeah and then i'm like wait a minute i know a guy who fucking <laughs> knows these guys and it's you right. um well, so i didn't go too deep into it so i'd love for you to elaborate on it as much as you can so this is how involved like i was with with them at the time the girl who rat who actually told on michael alec um this girl brooklyn was my roommate her and i lived with freeze briefly like we all kind of stayed in the same apartment in bronx uh in the bronx for a while and um so like that's how close i was to them when just before he died i got arrested in tom's river for some shit i did when i was 18 and was in jail when when the actual murder happened and uh actually i might have been out on bail when the we're gonna go on record and say vladimir de winter had nothing to do with angel's death Absolutely. As a fucking alibi. He was in jail. <laughs> Leave him alone about it. We're sick of getting the hate mail. <laughs> it's probably a good but, thing you were locked up. You yeah, yeah, no well, shit, because now you have zero ties to yeah. it, dude. Well, and, and at the time, like I said, I was, you know, I was doing whatever drug anyone would put in front of me. So if put in that position, I don't I know who knows what the fuck I would have done. Exactly. Yeah. No shit, but, man. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I was staying with them and Freeze was always kind of a weird dude, man. He was like the dude who seemed to like want to party with you the most, but it was just always uncomfortable. Like there's just an uncomfortableness about that dude. But Michael, I never would have in a hundred years thought that he would, I mean, I guess anyone's capable of doing anything. Right. Especially when you're like, you know, out of your mind on drugs. But even when the times when I would hang out with him and we were both high as shit, he was always just so upbeat and like fun and, loving everyone and wanting to give everyone free drugs and do you know what i mean like his personality didn't come off to me as someone that was going to kill somebody um as far as the facts that you stated that's all everything that's pretty lined up um i think it boiled down to outside looking in me not being there i think it boiled down to michael owing angel money 
Angel confronted him. Angel started kicking his ass. And then the freeze guy was just like, what's going on? Who knows if he was hung over or strung out, hits him with the hammer. Now they're like, fuck, we got to deal with this. We have a dead body. Like They're not going to go tell on themselves. Michael had also stole a bunch of drugs from Angel that Angel was now financially responsible for. Okay, so what was, I what I read is he did it after the fact. After he killed him, he went in and took like ten thousand dollars worth of cash, five thousand dollars worth of drugs. It was like hidden in his shoes also, or something. Yeah, before that he had also well, he had Angel had fronted him drugs, but then he had also stole drugs um from Angel as well. But then after they killed Angel, yeah, I think in the shoe they found like five grand and like a bunch of ecstasy or some weird shit like right. that. They found a bunch of other stuff that he had. But prior to that, he did steal a bunch of drugs from Angel. This just goes to show, kids, don't do drugs. But if you are, pay your dealer. I like how we go from, like, the straight edge stuff to the drug stuff, not the drug stuff to the straight edge stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So how accurate, um, you knowing Michael and St. James, James or whatever, and uh, Angel Melendez, how accurate were the actors in this movie portraying these people was because i always thought like even outside looking in not knowing these people i'm like macaulay culkin and seth green are really overdoing it right now like nobody acts like that right i know i know i know gay people can be flamboyant and fun but these two were just like man did were how accurate were they portraying you killed it man <laughs> absolutely no is that I, I pun thought, intended or no absolutely. pun intended or what yeah it, thought, it, uh, it's a fun I, movie I like but movie. how how no I me too it's a fun movie but yeah was michael alleg really the way michael mccauley culkin played him in real life was he really like that he was extremely flamboyant like that very you know we're talked with his hands a lot he's very um had a feminine touch to his voice. James St. James was a little bit more reserved in real life than how Seth uh, Green played him. Um, and he tried to like get that essence, but he just, it was, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but there was more of a uh, formality when it came to James St. James, more like, you know what I mean? Like right. there's, there's a way you eat, there's a setting you put down on your table, much more refined, I guess would be the, the term I would use in comparison Structured. to how, yeah. Was there, was there yeah. apartment as shitty as they put it in the movie? Was it kind of run down and, and kind of a shithole? Well, like I said, the one that, you know, the one I went to the most that Michael I like lived in with the Lego city, that place was not like a shithole. <laughs> it was basically a, a, it was in a really nice apartment building. And that was like, I think like 25, 30 stories tall, but it was like a shithole with inside of a nice apartment building. St. James is dead also, is he not? Is he dead too? No, he's still alive. No, he's, he's, still alive. he's weird. He's still alive. So Michael Alec is the one that died uh, just 2020 on Christmas. Yeah. Christmas Eve 2020, shortly before midnight, he died at his Washington Heights home from an accidental heroin overdose at 54. This guy is yeah. 54 years old, still out in the world doing fucking heroin, man. Isn't that wild? Yeah. That's fucking prison crazy. And chasing that dragon, man. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, no shit. Keep in mind, he was probably doing drugs, you know, most of the time he was in prison too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Charles Manson said there's sex and drugs in prison, you know. Oh, so. Yeah, yeah. That was actually, you know, think like that girl Brooklyn, um, and the show. I think her name is Tia Leone, if I remember. 
Is that her name? The I, th I think so. Yeah, Tia something. She plays. She, she's in uh, Orange Is the New Black. Um, she, she played in uh, uh, Beverly Hillbillies and Kids. She played in Kids too, didn't she? Yeah, the girl in Party Monster wasn't Kids. I remember yeah. that. I'm like, man, this girl's no, no, you guys are thinking of uh, the other chick. There's well, the there is a girl in Party Monster that was also yeah. in Kids, but yeah. it's not the girl you're talking about, right? Yeah. The, uh, the here's a funny connection to Kids. Um, that the you know the black kid who skates and he pulls his dick out and whips it. Yeah, around. yeah, he's a real professional skateboarder actually. He was a professional skateboarder and he was a fucking busboy at Limelight at the same time. Really? Oh wow! Yeah, I shit you not. I like from that movie, what, Kids. Dude, from what I understand about the movie Kids, is those none of those people were actors. Like they were making this movie in that town or wherever these people were Man, from. Happened. Yeah. yeah, and they just they yeah. gathered these real kids from the city and was like, you're going to be in the movie, you're going to be in the movie, and Rosario Dawson was like, I never acted a day in my life, and I had to ask my mom and dad if I could be in this fucked up ass movie, yeah. and thank God they said, yeah, because look at her now, dude, Look, she's been was, fucking, you know. There was two two actors, either they bloomed from that or what, but the other guy was uh, the one next guy, Friday, Dennis, next Dennis Friday. Dennis oh, yeah, yeah Roach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. suicide, and the other in, kid the other Fortune. kid played. Or Friday the other one played in uh, the one Telly, the one that had the AIDS. Right. Played yeah. in the movie Bully, uh, and he played in another TV series as well. So I don't know. Maybe they sprung those, from that. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of those uh, kids sprung from yeah. like he was. Bowser, he was like, in some. Off. He was in some CKY movies with uh, Bam Margera and Ryan Dunn when they were CKY yeah. too. Have you uh, seen Gummo? I have not, but it's made by the same people who made kids, right? Yeah, it's and I heard it's that, far, far that could worse. Be a locked up movie, I'm sure. It's the trailer park death metal version of kids. Right. Oh, That's, nice. I got it. What's it called? Gummo. Gummo. G-U-M-M-O. I first yeah. heard about it. I watched the movie Belly. And uh DMX is in it, Nas movie. is in it, Method Man is in it. Yeah. And uh they're all at DMX's house, and DMX is watching Gummo and there's like a kid dressed in a pink bunny suit. And like, don't they kill some kid? And they're like, he stinks like shit or something. Yeah. But I remember seeing that scene. I'm like, what the fuck is that? My homeboy was like, dude, that's gummo. The dude who made that. kids made this movie. Yeah. Is wow. it going to bother me? Like, am I going to, to use PTSD as a lack of a better term? Like, can you, is it going to bother me like the way it did spit on your grave or last house on the left? Like, no, is, is gummo can... fucked up that bad? I don't really like when people fuck with animals and there's like a part where they're like shooting BB gun, shooting guns at like a rabbit or a cat. And then they're like hanging it from a tree and then they sell it to like the local, like, but it's just like more real? like real. No, I don't, it's not real, but it's just, it oh, looks yeah, like it's, it's Yeah. It's, and it you, just is kind of like crap. Like you're just like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, like yeah. even, even an American psycho, right. When, um, uh, Christian Bale kicks the dog, you don't see it. You just hear the dog yelp. And every time it makes me cringe. <laughs> but you know what it's, a, it's okay and, when he's biting a chick's titty off. It's okay he gets his dick blown out, but if he hears a dog, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. it's game fucking over. Yeah, yeah. I have sex, it sounds like a flat tire going down the road. <laughs> oh my God. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, guys, what do you think, man? It's We're over two hours. Should we end this or what? Yeah, I th I think it's this is probably one of the best episodes we've done, and I'll probably say I agree. Every, I every uh, 
for every episode we, that we do between here and there. But um, Vlad, it was great having you, man. Yeah, um, man. Interesting. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, you're uh, you're a very interesting guy. Thank yeah, you so I don't, much. I don't think I'd be able to tell thousands of people uh, about my dick being blown out. About your right. over-microwave dick? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Um, but Before we let you go, man, let the listeners know how, where they can pick up your Zompire box, man. So basically we sell through uh, Store Envy. So it's just zompire.storeenvy.com. Um, we do have a YouTube channel where we do post stuff. And as always on Facebook, we have the Zompire Horde community page and the Zompire page that you can follow. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the stuff I'm doing. I actually, oddly, mm-hmm. I... Uh, both I know both of you because uh, I started unboxing videos. You guys were doing unboxing videos, and since I started Zompire, I felt like it was a conflict of interest to unbox other people's boxes. And so I haven't done one um, through my Vladerad Productions in two years. Well, when I got that box in the mail from Mike Tap, I did an unboxing today, and I actually posted it on the Vladerad Productions YouTube channel. So uh, anyone out there that hasn't seen that yet, yeah, go, go check, check it out. out. Yeah, you I'm can gonna, always gonna... go to my YouTube channel as well. I'm not trying to push my YouTube channel because I give zero fucks about it. But the only reason why I bring it up is because I unbox your company's box more than any others. So yeah. if there, if anyone wants to see a Zompire unboxing, just look up Cool Kid Collector, and there's a fucking ton of them. So. And I believe that if you use Cool Kid Collector ten, you get ten percent off anything on our website. I think that's I think that's a true story. I'm pretty, I don't see, I, after all the fucking, uh, uh, discount codes I've given away, I'm pretty sure I've given you one. Yeah. No, you <laughs> totally did. Has a discount code at this point. But the he only just forgets. Cool Kid Collector 10. And actually, right. I think it's Cool Kid 10. I think it's Cool Kid 10. All right. I didn't want to make it too long. And then, so, in your videos, you got to type that in the bottom so it reads, you know? Yeah. Fucking it yeah. Let's it. do it. I just want to tell you guys, man, I had a great time and hopefully one day we get to do this again, either on my podcast or have me back on. It was a, it was a real good yeah. time. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like an amazing idea. I would love to be on yours. I'm sure Audie would too. And I, I don't mind having you back, man. Pictures. Yeah, it's definitely, it, this is this this is definitely a learning experience. Uh, as much as much effort as we're putting into this, like, uh, as you can see, like, I'm I'm like the, the, the dude in Matrix that's behind the scenes and shit um what do they call yeah, audio is definitely is the tech guy for sure i'm just what do they call him in spider-man like the man behind the desk or something like that like it, the, i think the so little, the little fat kid in spider-man he's like yeah the man behind the earpiece or something like that <laughs> yeah that's me Dar- <laughs> i just like, let darren do all the talk and i'm just like all right is this working everything's good so you're like uh, now we're, and then, now and we're doing in. And then I come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it takes them that whole time just to put the letters. The word is across the bottom. Yeah, yeah it takes me like 30 minutes just to type this. I'm like, all right, keep talking, guys. Just keep talking. <laughs> right on, man. Shit. All thank right, you thank guys. you guys so much for being a part of this. I love both of you very much. Yeah. Thank you for uh, doing this, and uh, we're gonna fucking get out of here, but, man. Before we go, we got one more thing. Oh yeah, um, Vlad, stick around for this. So all right. we we did the last episode. We did. A giveaway. We it was um, an episode on the Twenty Seven Club, which was uh, rock stars: Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. Which I don't even feel like she's even at that level with those musicians. But Darren seemed to like her. 
we did it where we were doing a giveaway. We said, Hey, go you also, and you also like scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we were doing a giveaway and, uh, part of the giveaway was go give us a rating on, uh, I think it was Spotify and then post it on the AMP page or whatever tag. Don't blame us. And we, we went through, we, we, we chose a winner. Um, and I don't, I think I'm saying his name, right. Um, Benny is the winner of this right here. Um, check this thing out, dude. I almost kept this for myself. Oh, wow, um, that's cool. it's Jim Morrison. Uh, it's got his birthday and his Did you print day. That? Yeah. I printed this. I painted it. Um, oh, it's, you know, it's solid filament little thing on the bottom says, thank you. And don't blame mm-hmm. us. But anyway, Benny is the winner of this. Congrats, um, Benny. That's fucking dope. Yeah, it definitely. And, and I'm, I'm actually like, I, I was like, I was like, Darren, I don't want to give this away. And he's like, he's like, hey, fuck face. You can, you can fucking print another one. And I'm like, fuck, man, you're right. <laughs> it only took 36 hours, asshole. It's, yeah, it's it was, it was 38. Um, but yeah, he's oh, the winner. Counting? Congratulations, Benny, if you're watching. If not, Congrats, then obviously Benny. you'll watch this. Congratulations, Ben Newman. He is also uh, one of our Patreon. Uh, yeah. Subs- yep. Benny, Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Yeah. And- so if anyone wants to uh, support this podcast just by, you know, more than listening to it, look us up on Patreon. Look mm-hmm. us up on anchor.fm slash support, I think. So there's something like that. Audie's the tech guy. You have to ask him. But we should probably thank our Patreon uh, oh, subscribers or producers. I don't know if you were done. I was. No, I got. I got one more. I, I got in. one more thing, and it's basically benefiting the podcast. But she doesn't know it. Um, if you head over to feetfinder.com and type in B Marsh five one three two, um, and subscribe to my wife, she's going to be showing her feet. Um, yeah. I I don't I like. I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I'm like. Do a OnlyFans and charge a hundred to show your puss, and then she's like, <laughs> and then she's like, no, I got more, I got more morals than that. And I'm like, a hundred bucks is a hundred bucks. But anyway, yeah, I'm giving her a shameless plug. It's uh, feetfinder.com. There's uh, there's people out there who will pay her a hundred bucks Absolutely, to see her dude. crack a raw egg on her pinky toe. Like, yeah. there's just weird motherfuckers out there. Yeah, Benny's I, watching. Ben Newman is watching. Congratulations, nice. Ben! You Congratulations, won the uh, Jim Morrison bus. Check it out, dude. This is yours, man. That's all yours. I almost didn't want to give it away, but, but I made him because I told him if he, he didn't, I was me. gonna pierce his dick and make him lift a battery. You know what? After this show, I'm gonna go try that. What? No. Crack a raw egg on your foot or lift no, the battery go, with your dick? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pierce it. I'm just going to kind of like hold it with like a 550 cord at the base. I got a, I got a challenge. <laughs> oh, got a no. Challenge. Oh, one God. week challenge. You got one week to train. Take a butt plug, right? I'm put, out. Try, try <laughs> put a chain to a car battery and you got to be able to pick the car battery up without the butt plug coming out. Like Kegel butt? Like yeah, you gotta kegel it in there, and if it slips mm. out, you lose. I'll put that that's on a, the that's Patreon. all you, Audie. I'm pretty Whoever sure he's talking. Whoever's plug slips out first loses. Oh, shit. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> all right, guys, let's uh give a shout out to our producers. Ben Newman is one of our producers. Thank you so much. Brent Kopaka is one of our producers. Thank you so much. 
Ryan Merriman is also one of our producers. Thank you so oh much. If you want to be a oh, we also have two others. Yeah, guys, you got to remember that um um you got to give Streamyard permission if you're on Facebook to grant your name. You got to get permission. And uh, if you donate to the anchor thing, you can do it anonymously. We have two others that are anonymous. We have no idea who you are. Yeah. But thank you so much for contributing and paying and being a producer of the show. Yeah. So if you want to get credit for it, please change your name. And then we will give you a shout yeah. out at the end of every show as one of our producers. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just want to paint the picture real quick for people. Uh, these donations is going to be given back. You know, it takes a lot to run these programs. This is like a $50 a month program. Um, and, and what kickback we would get, it's going to go towards stickers, merch, uh, prints like this. I can buy filament, hook people up. Um, so it's nothing like crazy. We're not like trying to quit our day jobs and they give us your money. It's not what we're doing. I I see a lot of people that do that and give nothing back, but more or less it's just paying for what we're just trying to do. I would love to give a shirt fucking doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. Let me know when you guys need radio station, ask license plates, you know, that have your pictures on either side, like the Texas two one you just got. Oh yeah, man. (laughs) That would be awesome. Yeah. uh, Hate my name was at a convention today. He got uh, the dude who played Tom Morgo, who played nubbins and uh, Bill Johnson on that plate. I sent them. That was in the last box. That's awesome. Today. Double signed. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. stoked for him. Very, Sorry, very cool. No, I'm glad you did, man. That's that's a great point. I would love to have that on the license plate. Oh yeah. So I, is it, that it, 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 gentlemen? Any last words? What do you guys think? Thank you very Not. much for tuning in. Yeah, I'm man. your host, Vlad the Rad. <laughs> You're on 66.6 AM on your FM dial. <laughs> so professional. That was nice. He's got a fucking rad voice, don't he? My, I sound like something out of the trailer park. Well, you got to get them. Well, yeah. God damn it, boy. Bobby. Go look at pictures of Britney's feet. Do go it. Or yeah. dog. Go, go subscribe. <laughs> Her pretty feet. It's called Britney's Toe Jam Jam. <laughs> That sounds like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 fucking part. <laughs> it's a downhill so jam, wait, but it's like... So is she going to like have like a store where maybe she sells old socks or... Well, I told her she needed to sell panties, like used panties, but she, she doesn't listen to me. Dude, there's so, people out there who want to see I'm like... Quizzlers like, in between toes. Give me 25 buy, bucks. It's dude, crazy. there's people out there who will have her step in a jar of like jam, jelly... Put you have it put yeah, in mayonnaise, mustard, and ship it to them for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, dude. There's a girl on TikTok that farts in cans and shit, dude. I'm I in know. the wrong business. I, I need to start doing some crazy. Oh, shit. oh really? Is there? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds disgusting. What? Like, how would long do does a fart stay in a jar, though? Really? I don't, like, I don't know. Let's say she's until in you open the lid. <laughs> Let's say she's in Florida and I'm in like. Toronto, and she's got to mail it to me. How long is that fart good for, though? You know what I mean. No clue. I, I could test episode. it. I could I could fart in a jar, and then the next <laughs> next episode, I'll open it on on the air and be like, "If yeah, it still smells like an ass, like, I'm a boy." It'd be like, "That stinks." <laughs> <laughs> All right, we gotta get we out gotta of here. Go. Right. We're pushing two and a half hours. Yeah. If we don't end it, we're gonna be here till fucking. 
Five Don't nobody want to listen to a six-hour no. podcast. That's true. <laughs> All right, fellas. All right, I love you guys. Thank you love so you much. Hi, man. Fun. See you. Hit Thank that you. outro, Audi. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to our little Passion Project podcast. Remember, we go live every single Friday night, same damn time, same damn channel. So if you miss it, don't blame us.